pill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show and it's called Southern Sense and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. All right, and we're back. If I can get the camera to come up. Uh, you're, you're listening to Southern Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio, SHRM, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. And you know what? My camera is not working. I don't know what the heck is going on. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Surprise! I'm here. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I, I'm putting on the camera, and for some reason, it's it's showing an empty chair. So I mean, there's something wrong with the camera. I don't I don't know what's going on here. I'm clicking on the camera, and the camera's not functioning. Uh, this is just you can't make this stuff up. Not at all. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Anyway, you're here listening to Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck was it? Just go to the name of the show. <laughs> hey, it's that nut, Annie, the radio chick at SouthernSense.com. Oh, man. I want to welcome everyone that's up in the chat room joining us. Those are also coming up over on Facebook. We're back, and we're nuttier than ever. And listen, Curtis, we got ourselves a jam, jam, jam packed up show. I see. Uh, we're starting all. Oh, geez, did you see this? Ah, uh, there was hardly enough room on the show page to put everything in there. Um, we have the RNC spokesperson this week. Is his name? Believe it or not, it's a he, Paris Denard. He is the RNC senior communications advisor for Black Media Affairs. And then we're going to have a candidate uh, for Congress out of the great state of Nevada. He is uh, a veteran, a business owner, a community leader. Uh, His name is Sam Peters. And um, I found Sam uh, because about a week or so ago, he had put up, you've heard of mini AOC, this little tiny thing um, that does the imitation of AOC. She is so adorable. I would just love to eat her up. he had posted one of her videos, and he took a lot of flack. And the more he got the flack, the more he doubled down. And then a bunch of us saw what was going on with him, and we helped make the video and his site go viral. So he'll be joining us. And then we have a friend of ours returning to the show, Dr. Mark, Michael, Dr. Mark, Dr. Michael Bustler. Uh, he's a public policy analysis and economic expert. We're going to be talking to him about the the uh, coronavirus, and other stuff that is going on out there. Uh, you can find them up on Newsmax, LiveZet, uh, Town Hall. And then we're going to end the show with a really fun uh, guest. His name is Michael Foley, and he's got a new book that's just being released. And believe it or not, Chris, the name of the book is called Drinking with Your pa- Patron Saints, The Sinner's Guide to Honoring Namesakes and Protectors. Uh, it, it's a fun book. It is good. It's, we're going to have a lot of fun on this show and today. And a long title. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is going to make my uh, my old Mr. Boston barkeeper look like, you know, a has-been. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> uh, anyway, we started off the show with the uh, My Patriot Food um, commercial that I've, I've been doing now for the last couple of years. And I, I am going to re-record it. I'm going to ask them to send me a new um, script to work off of. But, you know, with the coronavirus, with this COVID-19 virus out there, um, people are afraid to leave their houses just to go to the grocery store. Um, I was listening to uh, Laura Ingram up on Fox News, and she went to her lo- local grocery store in the D.C. area. She could not even find ketchup on the shelves. There was no water. I mean, people were buying cases of water, freaking out. I mean, people are in a panic. I mean, folks, slow down, take a deep breath, and if you're healthy, you're not 80 years old, you don't have a major heart problem, you're not going under chemotherapy or kidney dialysis, you don't have a major health issue, you're fairly good health and under the age of 80, you probably, if you do get the virus, are just going to feel a little sick and then it will pass. So there's really no need to panic. So, yes, if you do get it, you stay home for a couple of weeks. And this is where My Patriot Food will really come in handy because if you don't want to go to the grocery store and you're not feeling well enough to cook yourself a big meal, with My Patriot Food, all you have to do is boil some water, pour it into the packet, get a spoon or a fork, and sit down under your blankets and feel as miserable as you want and eat your food without having to go out of the house. To check out My Patriot Food, go to my website, the name of the show, put it dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check out My Patriot Food. There's a little uh, box there that you just click on. You can order it. The sample for two weeks, two whole weeks, just $75. Tell me how you can go to the grocery store and get yourself breakfast, lunch, and dinner for only $75. Good Lord, you eat three breakfasts in one week and that's 75 freaking dollars. So check it out, guys, because I'm telling you, with this virus and with people panicking, if you don't want to leave your house, it's delivered directly to your door. And check out the other stuff they have on there, water filtration systems and all this other good stuff. So check it out. Anyway, that said, Curtis, boy, what a week we've had. And there's so much yeah, to talk I'm about still, and so much to do. I'm still wondering when I can leave leave my bedroom. <laughs> Hold up in the bedroom. <laughs> I got supplies and everything for a year. <laughs> but you know, well, you know um, the swine flu killed more people, and the common flu is today is killing more people than what we're dealing with. You know on a national emergency basis here, this coronavirus. And I just think people are just overreacting too much. It's a dangerous thing as all flus. But, I mean, if you keep things in perspective, the common flu is more has been more dangerous because it's killing more people than this. Um, Chief is asking, when is the Feast of St. Sasquatch? We're going to be asking Michael Foley that question, believe it or not. We will be asking him these questions. So stay in the chat room, guys, because if you asked about um, a, a uh, job trade or a sport or lost objects or what, whatever your, your mind can come up with, 
I'm sure there's a patron saint out there. So we're going to be talking to Michael Foley about that. So save those questions for when Michael comes on at the 5 o'clock hour on the show, Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have a blast with this one. Trust me, folks. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, That said, um, we're going to move this along so we can get back to the other topics. We're going to talk to uh, Paris Denard about what you were just talking about, the people panicking over the... uh, the uh, uh, COVID-19 virus. We're also going to talk to Dr. Michael Bessler about this too from an economic standpoint uh, because we got sporting events canceled. We've got, uh, I canceled my tea party meeting. Um, Our local GOP was opening up a headquarters, uh, Trump victory headquarters that was supposed to be opened up this weekend. They have postponed that. How it's going to affect the elections. We're going to get into all of that as we go on in the show. So please stand by and stay, hang on because we will take your questions. I'm watching over on Facebook, so feel free. We've got the Facebook Live going on over there as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. So we will be taking your questions from both of the areas there as best as I can. <laughs> I don't have four eyes. I only have two, but I'll try to keep up with you guys. That said, um, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And normally my dedications go out to law enforcement and to military. Occasionally we get civilians. But every once in a while we come across someone else, another first responder that has died in the line of duty. And today's dedication is going to go out to firefighter Jerome Guys. He was 34 years old of the Citizens Fire Company Number 1 in Mount Holly Springs. He was fatally struck by heavy timbers from a front porch roof while battling a blaze early Monday, this past March 9th of this year. And this is from Penn Live. There's not a lot because... His funeral is this weekend, and I'm sure the memorial services will be going on this afternoon and on Saturday through Sunday. So I didn't have a lot to work with. So please forgive me if it sounds a little terse, but this is what I have had to work with. And I've got to tell you, um, as a police officer, we responded side by side with these men and women uh, working in the fire department, and God bless them. Um, I've run into a burning building before the fire department got there. It ain't fun, and I didn't have protective equipment. And when these guys got there, I almost fell on the ground kissing it, thanking them that they were there, because I was scared, believe it or not, shitless. But you do what you got to do. And this is from PenLive, written by Becky Metrick. And she writes, Firefighter Jerome Guys was smothered by the weight of the roof that fell on him leaving him unable to breathe. Cumberland County Coroner Charlie Hall explained during a press conference this past Tuesday. Along with that, smoke smoke inhalation and thermal burns added up to cause Guy's death, Hall said. The home's resident, Jessica Deal, 36, was suffering from a lower leg injury at the time of the fire, Hall said. She was found near the top of the stairs on the second floor, and officials believe she was trying to get out, but the stairs were no longer there. Hall said Deal was killed by smoke inhalation and thermal burns. 
The matter of death is still pending following the results of the fire investigation. But as of now, Hall said, has no reason to believe there is anything suspicious. Deal had woken up her husband to tell him something was burning, Hall said. Her husband tried to look for the source of the fire, but the fire was moving quickly. By the time firefighters arrived, the structure was no longer sound enough to go in. The husband is being treated for burns at Lehigh Valley Burns Center. Fire officials are still investigating the cause of the fire. Citizens Fire Company Mount Holly Springs Chief Tom Yinks said he saw guys moments before the collapse still standing away from the building. Yinks said he probably moved in closer to try to get a better angle when the porch roof collapsed on him. Yinks said he walked away and came back a few minutes later, but the roof had collapsed and he realized guys was under the debris. It took about 10 minutes to get guys out. And then he was treated by EMS, who determined he was dead. Yink said it wasn't typical for a porch roof to collapse that quickly. It is unclear if there were smoke detectors in the house. I've been involved with police officers killed in the line of duty, firefighters killed in the line of duty, and it just rips your heart out, Hall said. I came from a law enforcement career, and now I'm the coroner. So we're all family. It just tears you up. And this is also from Penn Live, written by Jana Ben-Scooter. And she writes, Nearly 36 hours after firefighter Jerome Guys died while battling a house fire, his family, friends, and supporters lined a Baltimore street in the small town of Mount Holly Springs to pay their respect as a procession of fire trucks escorted his body to a funeral home. People stood alongside Route 34 as the procession, which began at noon at the Dauphin County Coroner's Office and ended at Hollinger Funeral Home in Mount Holly Springs at 1 p.m. Guys, 34, died when the front porch of a burning home in the 1500 block of Bowling Springs Road collapsed on him. A resident of the home, 36-year-old Jessica Deal, died after being trapped on the second floor. Another occupant of the home was severely injured. The alarm went off something early Monday morning, said Carol Niemeyer, whose husband is a firefighter with Mount Holly Springs Citizen Company. My husband was at home. He was listening to the fire on the scanner and received messages. This is heartbreaking. We all feel for people when they experience these losses. Being a firefighter ran in Guy's family, Niemeyer said. She said she was among many who were praying for his family, including his three children. The painful loss is felt. It's going to be felt by more than the residents in Mount Holly Springs, said Carol's father-in-law, Frank Niemeyer, who stood alongside as the procession passed. This is a close-knit group, he said. My son and Jerome responded to many accidents and fires together. It's small town, USA. Matter of fact, South Middleton, where my son started as a firefighter, merged with Mount Holly Springs. So the family is bigger, if you will, than just here. 
It's just a tragedy. As we run from the fires, they're going the other direction. My heart goes out to all of the first responders. When the procession arrived, one woman yelled, Here they come, silently watched, holding their right hand over their hearts and wiped tears from their eyes. Guys, a 17-year member of the fire company, graduated from Carlisle Area High School and worked as a forklift operator at Excel. A dozen fire companies rushed to the scene of the blaze around 1.30 a.m. on Monday, finding the house fully engulfed in flames. Firefighters fought the fire for at least six hours as smoke continued to pour out. It's not just the person who died. Obviously, it's a piece of the family. That's where it hits, Frank said. His company described Guy's as an all-around good and caring man who was willing to help anyone who needed assistance. He survived by three children, his mother, father, and a sister. Today's show is dedicated to firefighter Jerome Guy's. It's also dedicated to all the other men and women that serve as first responders, be they firefighters, emergency workers, or even law enforcement. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our nation from the birth of this nation through today and into its marvelous future. We dedicate to this them this song, and as I try to find it, just bear with me, And for some reason, I can't seem to find it. Anyway, um, all right, we will dedicate it by the song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one. Thank you. 
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power. Again, you're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, Media, Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, YouTube, Facebook, all oh, the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Curtis, you know, um, i I, I got to be honest with you at this point, uh, because of all the problems we had last week with the show being broadcast, especially here on Blog Talk Radio and the, the problems that we've had, um, I am contemplating a move. Uh, whether or not we go uh, do everything now on SHR Media over on Spreaker, or if I go uh, independent still, broadcast on Spreaker, but go on my own website uh, with the video and chat room on my site, which is Southern Sense. Just put the dash in the middle, Southern Hyphen Sense. You can go there and watch and you participate in the chat room over there. Um, before I do that, I'm, I'm thinking if, if I do it on Spreaker first, use their chat room over there, uh, get people accustomed to coming off of Blog Talk Radio. I'll still be using the call-in number and the studio, but I will not be opening, I think, in the future, uh, somewhere down the road, probably maybe a month or so from now, not using the chat room. Yeah, and just use them as the call-in number. Uh, because what I found is that um, when I I did a test program last night, and I found that um, with the video I've got going up now that's over on Facebook, and if 
you go over to our website, you can watch it on the REO stream on my page, uh, as well as, you know, clicking on the page and going to the uh, the Facebook uh, video. And uh, why would I go through Block Talk Radio? But the problem I had here was that with the video, I could take a video clip from my other computer, play it through the camera, so those that are watching can see the very same video I'm watching. So I had, like, for example, the Big Don music video, and I tested it, and it came up beautifully up on Spreaker. It came up beautifully on REO stream. It came up wonderfully over on Facebook. Everything videoed perfectly. The sound was perfect, but it didn't play through Block Talk Radio. There is something going on with Block Talk Radio that is inhibiting some of our audio, which is why I'm thinking just using them for our guest calling and then just independently broadcasting either through Spreaker on SHR Media or just or even simultaneously do it on our own webpage. So if someone doesn't want to sign into Spreaker or if someone doesn't want to sign into Facebook or if they don't want to sign into Blog Talk Radio, you're not signing into anything by going to my webpage. You just pull up the homepage, sit back, relax, and watch and listen. So, I mean, folks in the chat room over on Facebook and everything, give me what your thoughts are because I think after doing this, uh, this is what, 2020, doing this 10 years using Blog Talk Radio, I think I'm now wearing big girl britches so I can grow up and, and move away from home. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to pack my, my bags and my luggage, and when you're ready to move, hey, I'll be all ready. <laughs> all right. All right, because you and I will still be signing into the studio so we can, you know, see the callers and still filter the callers. Um, but at this point, I think um, that may, might be the way to go. Um, I, it looks like, you know, I'm getting ducked and I'm getting Bigfoot and everyone is saying it's a good idea. Yeah, I think I've yeah. got my big <laughs> Because the constant problem with BTR is just getting old. <laughs> it should be getting better. Yeah. It shouldn't be you know, regressing. Yeah, because I do know a couple of other hosts. I do know a couple of the hosts that are doing the same thing. They set their show page to private um, so that if you were to go there, you wouldn't be able to access Blog Talk Radio. But if you go to their Facebook page or to their own personal web page, you can access their show without all the headaches. So I, I think this might be the way in which to do it. As a matter of fact, I may even set up an independent chat room on my web page um, that you can join in instead of worrying about, you know, blog talk radio or signing into anything else. So I'd have a chat page up on my page as well as the Facebook page. That might be the way to go. And just watch the two pages and see people's comments and their participation. And, oh, All we need is a date. As soon as I figure out how to get the new mixer board to set up, I think I'll be ready to rock and roll. So, guys, give me about a month or two to get all the little kinks and details worked out. But I think that's the way we're going to be going in the very, very near future. Um, that said, um, it's funny because I, I mentioned Facebook and um, uh, a gentleman who's running for South Carolina seat uh, in House 88 uh, put up a, a, a picture 
And his picture, he was holding this huge handwritten poster and said, if you agree your rights are God-given at birth and not to be messed with by any government, I'm your guy for South Carolina House Seat 88, Eddie McCain. Now, Eddie McCain ran for several other seats uh, in South Carolina House as well as Congress. Um, So, you know, I'm familiar with him. I've known him for a good 10, 11 years or so, um, ever since the birth of the Tea Party. But someone, and this really got my goat, um, I don't know if the person was trying to be a smart aleck or if they really, you know, had an honest question. But this person, Michael, asked Eddie, and he said, does a 15-year-old have all of those God-given rights, or do you grow into your rights? When does a human obtain those rights? Are you saying fetuses don't have the same rights since they are not born yet? But I do love your sign, he gets. Now, Eddie wrote back, and I thought it was rather succinct, but I think it left a lot of stuff out. And Eddie wrote back, he goes, there's a reason God designed family with parents. Children have rights, but some rights children access as they mature and their parents allow. As an example, we don't give a two-year-old a loaded gun because he, she is not mature enough to even understand what a gun is and can do. But a 12-year-old could be mature enough. Everyone from conception forward has a right to life and liberty. We don't need to reach a maturity level to live and to live free of tyranny, which in in itself is a very good answer. Um, But I thought about this, and I thought, you know, it was lacking, I don't know, context or something. And my response was, um, and this is what I wrote. You give me your opinion, guys, what you think, whether or not I, I nailed this or if I just overthought it. And I wrote back, and I says, we, not, we do not grow into our rights. We are endowed by our creator with life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, equally as the preborn through birth and all of life. With our rights come responsibility, which must be learned along with self-discipline. It is the duty of parents to teach their children these things so that as the child matures, they can freely exercise their rights. Our founding fathers understood this, and our original public schooling was founded upon these principles. Our founders crafted the Declaration of Independence to reinforce these rights, wresting them from despots. The Bill of Rights established the rights and means to protect the original rights endowed by our creator the first amendment to protect our pursuit of happiness and liberty and the second amendment to protect not just the first amendment but to protect our very life with these tempered with discipline therefore it would be highly irresponsible to give a toddler a knife or a loaded gun as a toy but it would not be irresponsible to gradually teach that child of their god-given rights the responsibilities that come with those rights, and the self-discipline in the exercise thereof. It is also necessary to teach the imperative to defend rigorously these same rights, but for those who cannot or will not defend and protect those same rights. Our rights are as individual and unique as you are from myself. Each must be recognized and treated not as a bunch thrown into the same basket, all equal and identical, but recognized for the uniqueness 
and their proper exercise thereof. Yes, all rights are the same for the preborn, born, and adult. What is different is the level of exercise of each individual right at each stage of life as they approach adulthood of each individual, unique individual based upon the exercise of responsibility and self-discipline. Is there any one right answer? No. There are many right paths and equally many wrong paths. It's up to us really choose which to walk, not for government to decide for us. Your thoughts? I would say I agree with a little bit of both sides because, like you said, um, a young child is not really capable. I'm talking about somebody under eight years old of um, knowing how to handle a weapon or nor should they be drinking alcoholic beverages, things like that, you know, deciding. Well, I want to go downtown, you know, go to Toys R Us, so I'm going to catch a ride on the bus, and, you know, I'll be back in three hours. No, a six-year-old can't do that. But um, then on the other hand, we all are endowed with um, natural rights. And um, I say that because I believe a newborn or unborn has, has a right to finish the process of growth until that that unborn becomes born and when we impede that that growth by abortion I believe we're we're doing a disservice to um ourselves and to our 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 God and just the whole belief system and I think we devalue life as well when we abort children. So that's my my take. Well, because in in our independence, our Declaration of Independence, they specify our God-given rights, our unalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And you you have to understand, they use that word specifically, pursuit of happiness, not guaranteeing us happiness, but telling us that we have the God-given right to pursue whatever we deem to give us happiness. Now, that could be in excess, but then again, here comes responsibility and self-discipline. I mean, if your pursuit of happiness is to get yourself stoned off your butt every single night on crack cocaine, that's not responsible and that's not self-discipline. That's self-destructive. But if that's your happiness, well, go for it and don't expect me to, to attend your funeral. You know, but he, they gave us the ability to pursue our dreams, to help build the community and life that we felt we deserved, that we worked for and we earned, our happiness. And happiness is, is a subjective term, but what it meant back at the time of the writing of the, of the Declaration of Independence is not the same as what it means today. The context is a little bit different because back then, Pursuing happiness uh, would be pursuing uh, building a family, uh, building a homestead, uh, pursuing that trade that you thought that you could always do, whether it was a cobbler, an author, a preacher, 
you know, pursuing whatever that was and made you a valuable and vibrant part of your community. We don't look at it that way. We look at pursuit of happiness and winning American Idol, uh, becoming the next millionaire, uh, becoming the biggest rap star in the nation, to sing like Sarah Palin did on, what is that, that show where they all wear those stupid costumes to sing and you have to guess who they are, whatever that stupid show is. Um, that's what today's happiness is. It's something fleeting and, and momentary. That's what our founders envisioned. They envisioned a lifetime of pursuit of cerebral things as well as physical toil. But, you know, today... Well, what, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of this statement? Um, I believe Joe Biden has a right to run for president, but I don't think he has a right to be president. <laughs> and that that's based on that's, that's based on what I've <laughs> Yeah. He's he's known to do that. Flip his wig. But um I mean the guy doesn't seem like he's competent, you know, there's something going on with him. And it's mm-hmm. it's beyond gaps. Whereby I, take a Hillary thinks he has a right to be president because of her name, um, her sex, and all that. The anointed one, Hillary. Yeah. Some people have that I'll mindset, you know. My turn. Hey, Hillary. Oh, man. We can go all the way down this long road. <laughs> but I'm you waiting know. for someone to make a complete compilation of the Joe Biden gaffe from when he ran for president the first time and he had to withdraw. Why? Because he got plagiarizing some papers that he submitted in college. Oh, gee. Yeah. Uh, so he, got, he had to yank himself out of the, the presidential run the first time he ran. But people have a short memory. So a few years later, he gets up and runs again. But he gets sidelined by another scandal. So he goes back into the shadows, stays in the Senate, keeps getting reelected to the Senate, and lo and behold, he's making a third run. Now, I'm sorry, uh, crazy Uncle Joe, his oars are not hitting the water lately. If anything, they're barely even skimming the surface. So there's something bad going on. When his handlers will not let him speak to any group, that's if you could get 500 people in a room willing to listen to him. They will not let him speak any more than seven minutes. Now, we've been on the air for 45 minutes. All right. I would say about 15 minutes of it was with the commercials, the intro, and the dedication song. That gives us half an hour where you and I had a conversation without sounding like absolute boobs. I may stutter. Yes, I have a stuttering problem, and I occasionally stumble over words. Hey, but I don't forget (laughs) that the Constitution says that we have the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that we are endowed by our, not what's that thing, you know what I mean, by our creator. How can you forget God? giving us these rights, yet Joe Biden could not manage even that. One of the most famous 
phrases in our nation that is repeated daily, I don't know how many, countless times. I could not remember that. So I want someone out there who's willing to make a couple of bucks, make a three or four record compilation of the best of Joe Biden gas. I would, I would buy that album. As a matter of fact, I will help you make that if you give me an autographed copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a crazy Uncle Joe. And I think we do have our guest in on the line. Let me get the right mouse over here to bring the caller up. And I do believe we have Paris Denard on the phone. Good afternoon. Is this Paris? This is Paris. Hello. Good afternoon. What do you think about my idea of someone having the best of crazy Uncle Joe, you know, a four-part album, <laughs> dealing from his first run for, for the White House through today? Is that going to be on Comedy Central? Because that's it's the only place that would go, right? <laughs> oh, man. He's a walking he's, gas he's machine. A- I- and I don't think they're gas anymore. I used to think they were gas. Now I think he just really has a problem. Yeah, that's the sad part. Because if his handlers will not even let him speak for seven minutes, something's wrong here. Something is yes. definitely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. They're just trying to limit his exposure, limit his time talking to people. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah, he goes after that one steel worker after he curses him out and says, you know, AR-14. I never heard of an AR-14, an AR-15, but not an AR-14. But isn't he the very same one that when he was running for office uh, for the White House, he says, oh, I just tell my wife to go outside the back porch and raise the shotgun and pump around into the air to chase the bad guys off? I mean, he's just, there's just so many contradictions in the things that he says and does and you know, I think the American people are, the more that they focus in on this election and, and we narrow down the two people uh, on the de- uh, being Democrat and Republican, I think the more they're going to really get to examine who he is, what he is, and what he's not. And I don't think the what is not is a, is a great leader for the country. Yeah. Now, um, you are an RNC Senior Communications Advisor for the Black Media Affairs, and this past Super Tuesday, um, everyone's going about the black vote, the black vote. But we saw a very low turnout, turnout for our Democratic comrades. Uh, and I'm saying comrades <laughs> facetiously for Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Where are all these Democratic voters going to come from for the general election? I don't see them having anything to put up against Trump. Well, I mean, I, we we have to be realistic and know that the black vote in the Democrat Party is pretty solid. It's really the basis of what they have to offer uh, in terms of the electorate. Ninety-eight percent, I think, voted uh, for Hillary Clinton in the last election. The black uh, the black community. So it's very strong. The question is, are they going to be motivated nationwide to get behind somebody like Joe Biden, who has such a, a bad history and record in terms of in, uh, what he's done to the black community, whether it's the Clinton crime bill. Uh, that he essentially wrote and advocated for, or it's the uh, lack of, of of engagement with the community uh, as a senator and positive things that he's done while vice president, which he can't take the credit for, really not doing much of anything. And so I think that when you look at 
what the president has been able to do for the black community, I think his support is going to increase from the 8% that he received in 2016. And that's why it's so important for us as the party, the campaign, and, and those that are in the administration to really amplify the message and get the word out about what the president has done, the promises that he's made and the promises that he's kept as it relates to the black community, which is, I mean, it's so many things. It's, it's the opportunity zones. It's the um, president's support for historically black colleges and universities, like South Carolina State University. It's the fact that, it's the fact that this president has put out a kidney executive order to really uh, change the way this country looks at and, and helps and supports those who really need dialysis and, and kidney transplant, which is disproportionately impacting black Americans. And so on the whole, this president is doing so many things for the black community that he's not getting the credit for. But I think that once the word continues to get out and when the campaign narrows, it's going to make a difference and you'll get close to 12 to 14 percent. Well, you know, here you were, a black conservative, when it wasn't fashionable. And, and God bless you, you had the courage to step forward. You actually served in the White House with George W. Um, what you have gone through for your political beliefs is unbelievable. But we see now a growing number of people, not just with the walkaway movement, but with uh, Candace Owens and our friend Burgess Owens, uh, there's a lot of people now coming out of the black community um, that are now bringing very youthful people from the black community into the conservative movement. I am very buoyed. I, I, I don't the Democrats are going to see the tidal wave that's going to hit them. Well, there's a, certainly an enthusiasm and there's an energy. I think all the persons that you named are people that have been inspired and motivated by President Trump and his Make America Great Again message. And there's so many free-thinking millennials who are just sick and tired of politics as usual and are inspired by President Trump, who's an aspirational leader. And they see the man who keeps his promises and does what he says and means what he says. And, and, I, and I think that what, what you said is that the Democrats aren't anticipating the tidal wave that's going to hit them in terms of support from the black community and young black people who weren't even a voting agent didn't vote last time. They were going to come out and vote for this president. Uh, people who were Democrats before and, and looking at the way the country is going think that this president deserves four more years to complete the work and do phase two of all the accomplishments that he's, he's done. And so I think you're right. Uh, the, that's why I'm so proud of the work that the Republican National Committee with Ronna McDaniel is doing in terms of the Trump Victory Leadership Initiative and engaging voters, black voters, you know, Latinos and Asians all across this country, building a broader coalition. When they got these rallies that are going on that come to the Trump campaign, 20%, upwards of 10 or 20% are registered Democrats. These are people from all walks of life who are interested and motivated. And I think if you're willing to stand in line for 24, 48, 72 hours to hear the president inside of a building for another hour or two, you're going to turn out and vote for him because that is something that shows commitment, energy, and fundraising is through the roof as well. And so I think there's an energy, and there's a, there's a significant impact that this president is having on communities of color because he talks directly to them, and he talks about the things that we care about and issues that are important to the community. And that makes a difference. And it's coming from a sitting president of the United States who happens to be Republican, and that is totally refreshing. So we welcome all people like the Black Voices for Trump Coalition. We welcome, you know, people like Kanye West and Candace Owens and Burgess Owens and, you know, Katrina Pearson doing a great job at the campaign and all the people collectively on this coalition to really talk to the community and say, listen, what do you have to lose? And with under, with under President Trump, you're gaining so much more 
and there's so much more work to do, and President Trump is going to be the one to, to carry in for four more years. You know, I, I, I watched this, and Kanye West was in Paris recently, and he had his revival, and oh, lo and behold, some transgenders were so upset because they couldn't hold their fashion show because more people wanted to go to see Kanye West than to see these creatures strut their stuff in what is supposed to be a fashion show. Uh, the public is starting to say, we don't want your crap anymore. We're coming back to our faith, to God, and this is a man, Kanye West, who is spreading the word through music, and we want a part of this. Well, you know, the important thing about what Kanye West is talking about, being free-thinking and just uh, uh, opening up your mind, is, is it's important. I don't ever go around telling people, you've got to be a Republican, you've got to be a conservative, you've got to support the president. I just say, have an open heart and mind to listen to what the president is doing and what his jobs are and, and, and what, his, what his job plan is doing to lower unemployment rates across the country, the black community. Just look at the facts. And then look at what the Democrats are doing who've been in our communities for sometimes 15, 20 generations, so many years. And the free-thinking uh, American, especially the black American, is going to look at the, the two and say, you know what? I think President Trump is worth giving him a shot. Uh, they're coming to the president of the Republican Party for the first time, or they're giving the Republican Party or the president a second look. And that's part of what Kanye West and others, when they talk about being a free thinker and not being ashamed and wearing your MAGA hat or saying you support the president, you know, it's tough. I've been persecuted. I've been, my character's been besmirched, but I'll take the bullets because it's mine. I have tough skin. It's what I'm built to do. God protects me. But my family loves me, but, and my friends support me. But at the end of the day, we cannot be um, scared to support and stand up for our values, support this president, support his, his mission, but stand up for our values. Our, if you're Christian, your Christian values. If you're conservative, your conservative values. The president talks about freedom of religion and, 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 and protecting free speech and protecting uh, freedom of worship. And we've got to be empowered by that and share the news of why we support this president. And I think when we do that and, and share it to diverse backgrounds and diverse communities, the forgotten men and women of this country, like he talked about in the inauguration speech, I think we're going to make a difference in the election in November. You know, Paris. it's funny because I do – oh, uh, Curtis, I was going to mention something involving you. I, I, I enjoy talking to people who were former liberals or Democrats, voting Democrats, and I enjoy when I find that they have come over to the conservative message. Um, I always ask them, when was their epiphany? When was it that they realized that the Democratic Party that had been voting for all their lives no longer was standing for their values? And I always find it very interesting to hear what people say, because it's always something a little bit different. But in the end, they would always say that I found in the end they didn't do anything for me. They demanded my vote. They demanded my money. They demanded I show up at their rallies, but I got zero in return. But if I do this for the, over to the Republicans, they don't ask anything from me, and they're willing to help me. But then when you look at something like Spike Lee, who recently turned around and said, we love you, Massa, and calling everyone that's a Trump supporter, Uncle Tom, you wonder why you want to stay with the Democratic Party when people are going to treat you like this. Well, I think there's an awakening happening, and I think the president, when he said, what the heck do you have to lose? 
after looking at so many of the horrible conditions that were going on in the Democrat leadership for so many years in these urban communities, I think that's exactly what he was talking about. And I think sometimes you get sick and tired of being sick and tired of having bad schools and not having school choice and things like that. And then, you know, it, we have to change it. And the president's changing it. So, you know, as I, as, I, as I leave and close out this, I just want to leave your listeners with the fact that the American people deserve a champion and a leader. And the black community is getting that in Donald Trump. And I think the more you can have an open mind and open heart to what he's doing and be receptive of, of his policies, the better it is to be for your community. You don't have to have a person who looks like you have the same background that's going to stand up for your issues and support you. And that's what Donald Trump is doing. And I appreciate you. Oh, well, we appreciate you, Paris. And Curtis, you had one last question. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, this is more like a statement. What gets my goat is that um, the left are propping Joe Biden up like he's some great, great warrior, you know, political warrior because of um, that Tuesday and um, Super Tuesday. Yet, you know, in my eyes, he's just a paper tiger. A real warrior is like Trump who had to um, go against 16 Republicans. Most of them were very famous, very solid, and had a lot of money. And he beat every one of them. Biden, the only reason why he won Super Tuesday the way he did, because others dropped out and and gave their support to him. And it's just, I think he's going to get really uh, schooled by Trump on any debates they may have if Joe Biden makes it well, to that point. Well, Paris, it has been a pleasure having you. I'm sorry it was such a short uh, little bit out of time, but if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'll come on again. My uh, my website is parisdenard.com, P-A-R-I-S-D-E-N-N-A-R-D, and I'm on Twitter at Paris Denard. I've already followed you. God bless you, Paris. And, yes, you are God welcome anytime time and with more Can't time. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Uh, Come back again. I will, thank you. All right. You're welcome. Paris Denard. Find him at his name, parisdenard.com. Yeah, there was so much more to talk with, and unfortunately, when we get these GOP uh, speakers from the RNC headquarters, we never know because they have so many interviews. It's one after another after another. So we were lucky just to have them for even those those 15 minutes. But... um, I I wanted to mention something that was funny, Curtis, uh, because this is one of those goofs that when you watch the left fall on their face doing something so stupid, it is always, I I just, it's just something I I don't know, maybe it's something perverse in me. Wow. I I come to relish these these little oops. And this was done uh, last week. And the Patriot Journal picked it up. Uh, it's titled, Mainstream Media Makes a Major Math Mistake. Um, the major news networks had a pretty bad reputation for getting basic facts right these days. But this latest story was just so incredible. Uh, they had to bring it to us. Uh, they said, um, they wrote that Michael Bloomberg blew over half a billion dollars in its failed presidential campaign. And the pundits on MSNBC uh, (laughs) were trying to visualize just how much money that really is. So they wanted to illustrate what he could have used that money for on nearly anything other than politics. And would it have been a better investment? Well, most of us would agree that you can probably use that half billion dollars on a 
ton of things that would have benefited our society a lot better than a Bloomberg failed campaign. Well, here's here's the problem. They got the math wrong. They really got the math badly wrong. Uh, uh, this is from so Fox was, News. Now, okay. I got to catch Catch this, Curtis. Fox News wrote that if someone had simply stopped and double-checked some math, they might have saved MSNBC's Brian Williams and New York Times editorial board member, member Mara Gay some embarrassment and an apology last Thursday night. The trouble is the Post had gotten the math all wrong, yet neither Williams or Gay seemed to notice. Now, you know, we're not math wizards. But even they realized that Brian Williams and his guests, they showed a tweet that said, with $500 million, Bloomberg could have given every American, Bloomberg could have given every American, now there's over 350 million Americans, could have given every American a million dollars. Now do the math. One million times 500 million now, carry all those zeros over. Something is wrong here. Instead, if you actually do the math, they would have only given each American somewhere around $1. So with over 350 million Americans that we know about and how many more illegal aliens are sitting behind the curtain, you and I from Bloomberg would have received not enough money to buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, did they not have a calculator? <laughs> well, they didn't have an app or calculator. Everything's app-oriented these days. Hey, you know, on my phone, there is this little app on here that it's called, here we go. It is a calculator. I don't know if you can see it on the screen. I may have to turn a little sideways. But there's this app on your phone. It's a calculator. And you can take $350 million divided by $500 million, and you come with, up with less than a dollar. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so did they, like, when did they realize their era of their ways. Well, if they was it on that particular show or days later? Do you think they would have admitted it? Curtis, that would have to admit that they just might be wrong once in their life. When you have so they you never, ever known a girl to say, oops, I made a mistake? Like Hillary Clinton's well, book, I accidentally, accidentally on purpose bleached bit it my, my smart device? Wow. They are so bright. Oh, man. You can't just make some of this stuff up. Now, we're waiting for our next guest to call in. You should be calling in very shortly because I did get a text from him earlier today um, just verifying that uh, the time he's supposed to be calling in. So I'll just send him a quick message saying we're waiting for his call because I don't see him up in the studio. Um, He is out campaigning right now. Well, so you know something, and this goes back to Trump. I think his um, appointments of judge is starting to pay off because I think last week he won another another case 
in court. Um, I think it has something to do with uh, illegal staying across the um, the wall. Yeah, it, 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 it was it was that the Mexican they must remain in Mexico. They cannot cross over. Right. It was upheld. Um, it was uh, I believe it was the the Ninth Circuit that said that for the state of California and Arizona, they cannot honor the Trump doctrine that said that if you were going to apply for asylum uh, here in the United States and you're coming through the Mexican border, you must remain on the Mexican side until your paperwork is processed, yep. you're interviewed, and you're And but the uh, California yeah. No, you would only hear that on Fox News. You wouldn't hear it anywhere else. You would find it up on the Internet on places like the Daily uh, Wire, uh, Daily Caller, Town Hall, uh, American uh, News Network, AON. Uh, you would find it up Newsmax. on Newsmax. You would not find right. it on the Communist News Network. You would not find it on mainstream MSNBC. No, you would not find it on any of them. So I think this. I mean, this guy's winning court cases left and right, and you just don't hear about it too much. And I think they want to suppress that. Well, I think this might be our our next guest in here, who I would say to give him some good luck, future congressman from the great state of Nevada, Sam Peters. Good afternoon, is this Sam? This is Sam. Hey, and how are you? All right, all right. We're we're having some fun making. Making fun of the left over here uh, with uh, the inability of Brian Williams or um, uh, Gay over at the New York Times, Mara Day being able to do basic math, saying Bloomberg's half billion dollars, he could have given one million dollars to each American. The math didn't quite add up. Yeah. About a dollar and you can't even buy a cup of coffee for that. I, I, I'd like to be the first couple hundred in line if that's going to be if that's going to happen. <laughs> he's going to run out. You know. Now I came across you because you were posting up on Twitter, and you had that little angel, our, our little angel, our famous little mini AOC, who had another marvelous video. I mean, this girl, she's she's got to be a future Albert Einstein up. Political future Albert Einstein because she's so wonderful and she's so natural. And you posted the video, and of course, the left went after you and tried to tear you a brand new one. Uh, but thankfully, people like myself made your video go viral, made your yeah. name go viral. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. It was uh, it was fun. We reached out to uh, you know she, many AOC has done a lot of uh, different videos on for for different reasons. She has. She has, to date, to my knowledge, not endorsed a uh, an actual candidate. So I believe I was the first one um, that she that her and her family came out. And just for the record, so people don't accuse me as the left will of of using children in this political process. Um, we went through her family uh, and and the people of age, uh, be, and did did nothing without their approval. So um, we were gracious. They were gracious enough to uh, to to do some research on us. They believe as we do in uh, in the Constitution and this great this great country of America, and and uh, they came on board and endorsed us, and it was it was a lot of fun putting that together. 
these ancient and Venezuela and Cuba and all these other places. So uh, we're definitely in this race to win. And, you know, thank you for, for, for putting it out there with, with regards to my website um, and, and the issues that are out there. I've listed seven, six or seven of them, uh, you know, the, the top issues that, that people ask about. Uh, there are some issues that people don't ask about. And as I tell everybody, I'm actually in Lincoln County in the the, the central part of, of Nevada. We're doing a town hall tonight. And as I tell everybody I talk to in, in all of these town halls that I do and, and uh, speaking engagements, you know, I'm an open book. If there's a question you want an answer to that's not listed on the web page, I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. I'm, I'm in this because I love this country and I love, I love what we stand for. And, you know, if there's a question that needs to be answered, that's not uh, clearly defined, let me have it. I'm, uh, I'm open. I'm like I said, I'm an open book. Well, absolutely. One of the things is the first issue that you do list is the budget. Now that's, that is one of the biggest boondoggles that we have ever had in our nation. Uh, And, You rightly point out, and this is what drives me up the wall when I hear people in the mainstream media discussing the budget, and they say, well, the the Senate is originating the budget and sending it to the House. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? The budget coming out of the Senate and they're sending it to the House. Or asking the president to present the budget to the House or presented to the Senate so the Senate can what are you talking about you bunch of idiots you see I'm getting a little worked up and you write the Constitution Article 1 Section 7 Paragraph 1 that clearly clearly states bills for raising revenue not revenue revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. The power right. of the purse is in the House. So, Schmuck Schumer, get your hands off my wallet. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's you know, people miss that all the time. And it's, uh, when the question comes up, you know, and, and some, you know, some of these speaking engagements I go to, the, the crowd is not well-defined before I get there, and, it, and they come from all over, and I, I welcome that, and a lot of times there's there's liberals in the audience, and they the first thing they want to do is say, well, you know, the president's spending all this money, and he's the reason, and blah, 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 and, and I just go back to what you just said. The article, the, uh, the Constitution clearly defines who is responsible for allocating funds, and it is without question the House of Representatives uh, and you, the sad piece of it is they haven't done it. They haven't passed a, a, a full array budget in 23 years. And I remind people that when they did do that 23 years ago was the last time we also had a surplus in this government. Um, so you know, getting our spending under control, making sure that we're, we're spending in the right areas, we're not wasting money on foreign affairs and, and foreign governments that we're going to end up fighting 10 years from now, uh, that it needs to. We need to get back to it. We need to make sure that we're being good stewards of of American tax dollars. And most of the people I talk to, are, you know, around the state and around the country, and, and you know, I do these radio interviews across the country. The the people I talk to, they're not they're not opposed to paying their share of taxes. Americans understand that the, the government needs to needs to run. They know they understand that. The, the military needs to be strong and we need to be able to protect ourselves. We need to be able to secure that border. 
and all of these different things. But they don't. They, what they're angry about, and what folks get, just get wrapped up about, is the absolute waste that is, you know, continuing for for decades and decades. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, there was a movement where we talked about um, wasteful spending, where the military or some federal agency would buy an $800 hammer. And it's absurd. You don't buy an $800 hammer. Well, what we've gotten to now is we don't buy an $800 hammer. We buy $108 hammers. And it's just, it's just as wasteful. Um, so it's not a matter of, you know, changing the, the narrative uh, to fit an election cycle. It's actually being a good steward of American tax dollars. And that's what it's about. So uh, that's what I stand for. And that's, that's one of my top issues. Well, I, I remember the $800 hammer issue because uh, at that point yeah. I was married to my first husband who happened to have been a Marine. And um, well. this was a hot topic. And this was during the Reagan administration. And I remember right. that. And I remember my husband saying that with the department that he ran in the Marine Corps, at the end of the year, if there was any surplus left in their budget, they had yeah. to spend it. Otherwise, the budget the following year would be cut that much more back. And there was no yeah. way to adjust because you don't know in the following year if you're going to need more money or less money. Yeah. There's no way to predict it. So the government's idea was, well, if you didn't spend it, you don't need it, you're not going to get it next year. So there was a rush right. to spend all this money. And mm-hmm. we kept on saying, well, why can't we just roll it over and after yeah. a couple of years, you see that this is what your budget is doing, then just adjust it. Once you use yes. that sur- surplus, then you now use the adjusted budget. And if you find, again, you end up with more surplus after a couple of years, you can mm-hmm. adjust it, use up the surplus, start the new budget. But no, that's common mm-hmm. sense. Heaven yeah. forbid our government uses basic common sense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and. and as a military officer, uh, I was I was saddled with that problem every single year. Uh, at the end of the year, it was the same thing. It wasn't just happening under under President Reagan. It's it's become a culture of our government and what and the, the spending that we've uh, allowed to happen. And, and quite frankly, we've gotten to a spot where the leaders of all of these federal organizations, and, and it happens at the state and local levels as well, uh, in the, under the same auspice. You know, you don't spend it, you lose it. Uh, and when that happens, you ha- what you ha- end up having is the elected officials that are responsible or, or the leaders of these organizations that are responsible for, for spending that money, um, they, they turn into empire builders because the more money they spend, the more they're going to get next year. The more money they get next year, the more people they can hire, the bigger the organization, and it's feathers in their caps. And it's just it's a culture that our government has turned into uh, that needs to – that needs. We need to throw a monkey wrench in it and fix it. Um, and that's, you know, you, ha- you we have to get away from that culture of, of wasteful spending. And it's not just a talking point. It's something that actually we have to take action on. You know, this you, you talk about this, you know, rolling money over and saving it for next year or the year after uh, and reallocating. That reallocation needs to go to our debt, that $23 trillion looming debt that is not sustainable. Uh, I mentioned the small, the, the family that I have, the small kids that I have, you know, if, you, if you've got grandkids or kids or you're expecting grandkids later, uh, this is their problem, but we have to fix it. Now, I like your 11-point plan you have for immigration, and I'm pleased yeah. to see that 
President Trump actually agrees with you on most of it because the first one is you said build the wall, which we are doing. Um, you have hold elected officials who violate uh, our immigration laws legally accountable. Uh, Texas and several other states have enacted laws that should a crime be committed by an illegal alien and an elected official was complacent in keeping that alien within that state or neighborhood, they can be held financially and criminally responsible. I'm glad to see mm-hmm. this law starting to pop up on the books. Um, we've been talking about ending the chain migration. Um, he's actually now going after sanctuary cities, so that is going mm-hmm. good. Um, yep. He's already put out the executive order, order uh, dealing with welfare and other government benefits, saying that if you're an illegal alien receiving that, you're not getting citizenship. Bye-bye. Um, yep. he has, we already have the mandatory uh, employer verification. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what we need to do is uh, the visa overstate. Now, uh, my friend Mike Cutler, a former ICE agent, and I've known him for more than 30-some-odd years, um, I love when he says, he asks me, how many border states do we have? And I'll ask you, Sam, how many border states do we have in the United States? Uh, you put me on the spot. I guess going, going on the ah, top, we have, we okay. have a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah, not just well, the southern border. It's, we no, have, the, we have we each, each of the coasts. I'm going to give you a break here, Sam. Sam, I'm going to give you yeah. a break before you step in it. Because every state that has an airport with access to the international airport, there you go. every state there you go. that yeah. has a port with access access to a waterway which leads into international waterways, including the Mississippi, yeah. the Missouri, the, yeah. the Utica. These are 50. every single state in the United States. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly so right. You have an illegal alien enter, whether it's through a visa program, through chain migration. Every single state is a border state. So when we That's look right. at it and we say, well, we're looking at our ports, and we're looking at the northern border and the southern border. Yeah. Wrong. The vast majority of mm-hmm. illegal aliens that enter our nation enter on overstayed visas, be it work that's visas right. or student visas. And that's where we have to do the clampdown. That's right. That's, that's exactly that's right. Your, that's exactly right. See, now, now I got you on a campaign trail, and you can ask your audience. How many border states? And you've got them there. There you go. I gave you something you can't see. All of them. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I do. And you're right. The overstays, the overstays are, pro- are the biggest under, uh, under-discussed uh, issue uh, that we have. You know, there's, uh, there's arguments in, in talking about the campaign trail when I, give my, when I do my talks and, and have these discussions. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the literature will tell you that there's 10 to 12 million illegal aliens uh, uh, in the United States that we don't know about. They're, they're around. I said that one day in a, in a talk and I thought I was going to be lynched um, because the people in the room very adamantly said, that's not true. It's at least 30 million, you know, whatever the number is, it's way too many. And it goes, you know, we talked, talked about the the budget earlier, uh, $116 billion uh, in 2018, spent on illegal immigration services, $1.6 billion just in my state, 
um, and our main paper in the Las Vegas area, the Review Journal, uh, did an article back in November talking about a thousand, just in Clark County, just in our one county on the southern tip of Nevada, a uh, thousand illegal immigrants who were charged or convicted of violent crimes sitting in that jail at the time of that article. A thousand of them uh, sitting in, again, just that one jail. And we have numbers of jails throughout the state. So, uh, and, you know, you extrapolate that countrywide, and, it, and we got a serious issue. Um, and again, it's, it's one of these things, as far back as Border Patrol has been taking st- uh, keeping statistics, uh, you go back about 50 years, um, 46 of those 50 years, the number of illegal immigrant arrests uh, just at the southern border, not counting all of the 50 states that you alluded to, but just at the southern border, uh, over 400,000 arrests were made of people coming across that border. And again, those are the, just the ones that we know about. Um, 46 out of those 50 years, it was over 400,000. 2019, we, it was over a million. Um, this is this is something that the focus cannot be let up off let 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 off of. Uh, and we have to maintain our focus on it and make sure that we shut it down and make uh, you know start protecting our country as though it is our own country. Funny, it was about I think it was about seven years ago, six or seven years ago. I did a show on the growing number of illegal aliens in our criminal system. People mm-hmm. that are not being arrested because they're here illegally, but people that are yeah. arrested because they committed violent crimes. Not petty yeah. crimes, like crossing the street while chewing gum or something, yeah. but violent yeah. crimes, assault, rape, yeah. murder, robbery, yeah. burglary, uh, drug uh, uh, sales, drug transportation, yeah. uh, human trafficking. Yeah. Violent yeah. And, and, and serious crimes. And at that point, it over one-third of the criminal uh, population nationwide consisted of illegal aliens. And that was yeah. six or seven years ago. I shudder yeah. to think what that number has risen to. And when we talk about illegal aliens, and they say, oh, well, they're not hurting anyone. They go out and they work and they pay their taxes. Eh, wrong. Yeah, that's not using that's not stolen social security numbers. Now, I have a friend of mine, that's she right. passed away a number of ago. Her purse was stolen. And she came to find out three weeks later that someone was using her social security number. It was an illegal mm-hmm. alien who got her ID card, her social security number, was working using that social security number, but they were not paying any taxes. They just that's used right. the number so they could work. There were no taxes being paid. They were receiving yeah. social services, free housing, free food, Medicaid, uh, you name it. They were getting every single possible social service plus earning a wage and sending that money back to Mexico, Guatemala, That's Nicaragua, right. India, or yeah. any other place that they had immigrated illegally from. The money That's wasn't right. You're absolutely- here. The money was going to our taxes. Yeah, and 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 you're absolutely right. And more, and you know, I've got a, a friend of mine that lives on the southern border in Texas. Uh, he's a retired uh, Texas Ranger. His name's John Allen. Um, and I asked him. He's got a 16,000 acre ranch down there on the border. And I asked him a couple of days ago. You know, we haven't heard about illegal immigration. We haven't heard about all these caravans coming across. We haven't heard about all the stuff at the southern border for six or seven months now. Uh, has it slowed down? Has it? Have you seen any change? And his immediate answer was absolutely not. It is still going on. It is. It is the, every single day he's watching people walk across 
uh, the border and his property, and 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 there's just not enough government resources uh, to 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 thwart it without you know like the first thing on that 11 point plan you mentioned. We got to build that wall to make sure that we can stop some of these uh, folks coming in. What people don't really realize in a lot of uh, places, uh, and this is near and dear to Nevada uh, specifically, the illegal immigration problem that like we see all over the country. In Nevada last year, the Democrat-led state assembly actually put forward a bill to make Nevada a sanctuary state. Now, that bill, thankfully, um, cooler heads may have prevailed, and and, and that bill died in the assembly. It never came out. But the reality of it is these Democrats, these progressives that want uh, this open border that they're pushing for, they are going to stop at nothing until they – uh, until these sanctuary state and sanctuary cities uh, bills continue to to pass, and you know, God bless the president for doing what he's doing to fight this thing. Um, again, I'm in this race to uh, to support the president's America First agenda uh, and to make sure that Nevada and, and any state, quite frankly, uh, while I'm in the House of Representatives, um, is never going to become a sanctuary state. It's never going to become a socialist state, uh, and we got to take back our country, and we're fighting hard to do that very thing. So. Um, this immigration thing is, again, like the budget, it's, it's top of the list for, for what we're working on. Well, we got to do it one seat of the House at a time with people just like yeah. you to take back that House. AOC, pack your bags because you're going home soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I, I'm telling I, I, people... I, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I'm telling people to go to your website, uh, sampetersforcongress.com, and look at uh, all the issues that you have. Uh, you, I see that Curtis is trying to bring our next guest in. He should be on the line very shortly. But very quickly, fair tax? I'm sorry, did you say fair tax? Fair tax. Are you for it? The fair tax, I would take, I would take a look at it. Our tax, our tax system absolutely needs to be addressed as well as part of the – the, the federal spending and deficit and all those fair taxes. Um, I, I'd have to take a deeper num- deeper look at the numbers and what it looks like um, and the implementation process because any overhaul of that nature is is a is a huge endeavor when it uh, when it includes 360 million people. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to it, um, but I would have to take another look to it. And again, our our tax our tax system uh, needs needs work when when the layperson that's working. Uh, and paying taxes uh, has to, by by proxy, has to hire somebody to do their taxes for them because it's it's too difficult to go through the the volumes and volumes of tax code. You know you have a problem. So um, if it's if it's fair, reasonable, and it makes sense, I would I would absolutely take a look at it. Well, I suggest you know, pick up the book, you know, download it from Kindle. I I have the original book from both first edition from both of the office authors signed and autographed. I've read it several times. Check it out. But okay. your website is sampetersforcongress.com. People can find you sampetersnevada.com. Uh, not uh, sampetersnevada over on Twitter. You're also, I believe, up on Facebook. I think I found your page over there also. Good luck, Sam. That's right. And we'll have you back on. We'll have you back on. Look- and, and keep pumping uh, mini AOC. She's a doll. Yeah, I will for sure. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless all the folks out there in South Carolina. Thank you. God bless. All right, check it out, folks. SamPetersForCongress.com out of the state of Nevada. Bringing back a friend of the show. Always so much fun to have him on the show because you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. want to welcome back Dr. Michael Osborne. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? 
Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always my pleasure to be here. Oh, we, we always have fun with you because we never know what we're going to be walking into when we do the show. <laughs> I mean, I sit down at night and I do all my notes and I think, I think I've got everything nailed. And sure enough, you all right. in the morning, you turn on the news and something else blows up. And she's like, all right, just threw everything out the window. Where do I start now? <laughs> well, there's a lot to that. I mean, uh, oh, man. You, you never know what's going to hit. You really don't know. And what's, what's really bothering me is the panic people now have over the coronavirus, the COVID-19. And I've seen some people do some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, are we overreacting? Is this nation going to correct, or are we in for one heck of a ride? Well, um, there, there is a question of whether we're really overreacting to this. From a medical standpoint, most of the medical professionals would rather have us overreact than underreact. I mean, so far, uh, this has been contained in the U.S. fairly well. There's um, less than 2,000 cases, uh, about three dozen fatalities, and I certainly don't want to make small of any of that, but it's not um, so far a major catastrophe. However, the medical professionals are telling us that it could get very serious if we interact with each other a lot. So um, that really has spooked everything from uh, Wall Street all the way down to common citizens. Um, and even uh, state governments now are requiring um, some emergency uh, type situations. Uh, the idea is they tell us that this virus could spread rapidly. Uh, so at least for the next couple of weeks, let's uh, try to minimize some of the contact that, that we have. And uh, we'll see how it, how it goes. Well, you know, here I'm in South Carolina, and we have a total of nine cases all through South No, nine. I think it's up to 12. Nine of them are yeah. in Kershaw, and they're all surrounded around this one nursing home. And they've traced it back to the original person, and thankfully they've done that. Uh, there's one in the Charleston area, and the other one is up in Spartanburg. related to that same nursing home. But here, we, now my local hospital, which is only seven miles down the road, they had two patients in there, possibly infected. Now we've got four members of the staff in isolation, so they're tested. It, it's starting to hit home in a lot of backyards, which makes you start to wonder, are we underestimating it, or should we go with what the medical people are saying and hunker down and be ready to stay in your home for a little while? Well, again, uh, we'd rather be safe than, than sorry. So far, it doesn't look to be, uh, and it hasn't been, a, a severe problem. But, again, the medical professionals are telling us that this virus can tra uh, travel rapidly uh, between people and infect um, a large amount of people. So to minimize some of that, let's uh, try to be very cautious, at least for the next few weeks. The medical professionals also say that viruses like this, and we don't know exactly how this will behave, but viruses like this tend not to thrive in warmer weather. So once it gets in the 75, 77 degree uh, range, these viruses tend to die. Now, now we, we don't know if that will happen exactly to this virus, because it's the first time we've seen this, but viruses like that, like this, tend to not thrive in the warmer weather, which is why the flu season is always in uh, the the uh, colder uh, weather. So I think what um, the 
president who declared a national emergency is saying and what the governors of many states, I live in New Jersey, both New Jersey, uh, neighboring New York, um, Pennsylvania, uh, have declared uh, emergencies, uh, their state of emergency. Um, that's nothing to panic about. It allows the state and the federal government to be, do a few things and get access to some funding and change some laws around a little bit, uh, particularly with the uh, testing of the disease, um, so, so that uh, we can try to minimize what, what's happening here. But the, the mood seems to be that, uh, look, this uh, came about in China, you know, suddenly, and they didn't really watch it well. And before you know it, they had millions of people uh, that they ended up having to quarantine. In Italy, uh, they went from 500 cases to 10,000 cases in about two weeks. Um, so uh, that can grow rapidly like that. Um, there is the potential, I'm told from medical professionals, that um, if we don't do things to mitigate this, uh, that it could end up hitting a fairly large segment of the population. And uh, the, the most vulnerable here are people generally over 60 years old who have some kind of uh, another issue uh, that compromises their immune system or their respiratory uh, system. So uh, somebody with uh, breathing problems or if you're getting some uh, chemotherapy treatment, um, that will uh, compromise your immune system. And, and those people are particularly vulnerable. The young people seem not to uh, get this. Their immune system seems to be uh, strong enough to, to hold this off. Um, we may look back at this three or four weeks from now and say, boy, did we really overreact? It turned out really not to be anything. You know, frankly, that's a, a very good outcome. Uh, so the medical professionals keep saying, let's be overly cautious here and not let this thing get away from us. Well, you know, I, I'm looking at this from one of several different uh, ways. Um, I, I'm former New Yorker, because I know up in New York, you can get snowfall pretty hefty uh, come April. So right. you've got yourself a long season up in the tri-state area, in the New England area. Gosh, I lived in Boston yeah. for two years, and, and that would that would go yeah. into May, you'll be getting snow. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm now down in the south, and we already have weather in the 70s. But I actually canceled my Tea Party meeting this Monday, and I was going to have a congressional candidate come and address our group. And I'm actually in the midst, last minute, switching everything to do a teleconference with my group. So I'm saying I'm still going to meet, but we're not going to physically meet in a setting where we're all gathering. And I think a lot of other people are starting to think that way. But what I'm looking yeah, at is when you see these sporting events and these other large groups not meeting, people over, say, 500 people, NASCAR just canceled. You saw the NBA cancel. The uh, PGA has canceled. This is big money, not just for the people in the stands and the concessions in the stands, the parking, the hotel, the restaurants, all the other amenities surrounding that area. This is an economic failure. And this is, this is going to be reverberating for quite a while. We saw this on 9-11, but to not this extent. Well, uh, so here, here's what I think about that. I, um, with the stock market, um, I think the stock market's um, investors just really overreacted to this. And um, because of fear, the stock market has plummeted the way it, it, it has. Corporations, while they may not have increases in profits this year, we'll see how all this uh, hits. They'll probably have profits fairly similar to what they had last year. Now, why do I say that? So 
January and February of this year were, for most areas of the country and most industries, were, were fairly good. March looked like it was going to be good until this um, coronavirus hit, and not so much the virus, but the reaction uh, to it with all those events being called off and people not going on airplanes and cruises and going out to eat as much. So uh, all those will be hurt. And you're right, too, the small businesses that uh, thrive and survive around those sporting events, they're going to get clobbered. Um, what we're, what I think is the a, a scenario that may happen that we're sort of hoping for, they're telling, they're saying probably in about three, four, five weeks, uh, this, the uh, coronavirus new uh, p- people that get it should peak and it should start to head down uh, after that. So probably by the end of April, this will peak. Things will start to head down after that. Again, as the warm uh, weather starts to get a little warmer in May and June, uh, we should be able to get a, a pretty good handle on this. So while uh, many of those industries and businesses are going to get clobbered from the middle of May at least until the end of April, things should start to normalize a little bit in May and June, and some of that business will come back. Now, some that's lost is lost for good, but on the plus side, there's some other things happening. They dropped interest rates. Uh, half a percentage point, they may drop them a little more. That means mortgages, 30-year mortgages, may be close to 3%. 15-year mortgages may be down as low as 2.5%. That means the housing market is going to turn out to be very strong. But some geopolitical forces that have driven the price of oil way down. Now, that's bad for our, our energy sector in the long term, and I think it will adjust. In the short term, gasoline is going to drop under $2 a gallon. So that will encourage people to go out a little more, uh, and that should tend to stimulate the economy and give uh, people a little more money to spend. So as much gloom and doom as we see today, and, and I agree with you with, with all of it, we're hoping it's relatively short-lived. The, the worst of it uh, only lasts till maybe the end of April, and then things begin to uh, normalize again. Let me also say one thing about the stock market. The stock market has a habit of rebounding relatively quickly. Usually when you get a 10 or 20% drop within three to six months, it's back where it was before. Even in 2008, when the market dropped 50%, 18 months later, it was back up to where it was. So we've had about a 25, 30% drop. Now the market did real well today. Um, so it might be once we recover from this, you might see by midsummer, the end of summer, the stock market back uh, about where it was before. And, um, you know, we'll have weathered a really tough storm. That's what we hope happens. <laughs> yeah. It is. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, um, we had the H1N1 a couple of years ago, and I believe it impacted um, 60 million people, and I think maybe 13,000 died from it. But right. we, we didn't have everything um, we didn't have the panic that we have now. Um, could you in some way juxtapose the two and why we seem to be more uh, panicky right now than we were with the H1N1 uh, swine flu? Yeah, and I don't know if being more panicky is a good thing or a bad thing. So uh, you're, you're right. The uh, swine flu, the H1N1 in 2009, it was six months from the first case until they declared a national emergency. By that time, 
It had already infected 20,000 people with over 1,000 people dying and then went on to hit those large numbers that you, uh, you just spoke about. Well, um, we don't want that to happen ag again. So uh, because we know things like that could happen, now we're perhaps not only reacting very quickly, maybe we're overreacting. The other thing is today we have social media and you can very quickly find out exactly what's happening everywhere and virtually everybody can, can find that out. Whereas even 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you know, you, you still had to wait for the evening news and the newspapers to really uh, do things. So because we can find out now and because we have had the bad experiences in the past and we don't want any of that to happen again, we're going to be overly cautious now and try to uh, get through this with having that peak being a relatively low number. President Trump tried the let's not panic approach, uh, saying in the very beginning, look, there's only a few deaths. We can really control this. Don't everybody panic. We'll get through this. It didn't work. Everybody panicked, especially in the stock market, and then he was criticized for not being serious enough. So just last week, he decided, look, I'm, we're going to take this on head on. I'm going to show I'm serious. I'm going to take uh, dramatic action. I'm going to limit travel from any place in the world where uh, this virus has broken out. We're going to declare national emergencies. We're going to set up commissions to make sure everybody can get tested and there's enough things to go around, and we're going to put some limits lifestyles so they're not likely to uh, spread the disease. So we're looking at it much differently today, and we have social media, which allows us to do that. Well, you know, I, someone had posted something up on my Facebook page, and I stopped, and I actually went and researched this, and I found the facts were really interesting. They said this is a notice that was posted on their doctor's office uh, today, and he has this handwritten sign and said, Every election year has a disease, and he lists them, SARS in 2004, the avian flu 2008, swine flu 2010, MERS 12, Ebola 14, Zika 16, Ebola again 18, and now in 2020, the coronavirus. Then he adds the coronavirus has a contagion factor of two. SARS was four. Measles has a contagion factor of 18. So we're more likely to get the measles than we are to get the coronavirus. And yet the coronavirus right. has a cure rate of 99.7% for those under 50 it infects. And he said at this point it, the spread is leveling off. Now, we do know it's leveling off in China. And I think, yeah. as you said, as we get the, cold, the colder season leaves, and it's going to start you know, from the south going up north until you guys – Still, thank yep. you. <laughs> With your snowfall yep. in March and April, are going to have to, you know, wait it out. We'll come down here, and we're going to block you off and say, no, 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 you can't come over the Mason-Dixon line. Stay up there. <laughs> but I, I think, oh, in one yeah. sense, yes, we're panicked on the side of caution, but we can't get ourselves too nuts. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it, we we have to try to strike a, a balance between being cautious and not being nuts. Uh, it looks like we're erring to the side of being overly cautious. Um, and again, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing from a health standpoint. From an economic standpoint, it's going to cause a, a hit, as I said, at least for a couple of months and maybe longer, but at least for a couple of months. 
um, and we'll just have to determine whether it was worth taking that hit uh, in order to um, ease our fears and you know keep people as, as healthy as possible. My my fear is this. My fear is that okay, say we come out all right with this one. The next time something like this come up in a year or two, maybe three, we're probably not going to take it too seriously. Well, I certainly hope we do. Underreact. Yeah, that's something that um, you're you're always uh, a little bit nervous about, and you hope something like that doesn't happen. Um, You know, because I guess what you're saying is that if we – reacted the way we did now and it turns out we overreacted then there is the fear that oh this is one of these again we don't need to react to it and i hope people don't take that that attitude um if this turns out to have a positive result in that um uh we end up with not having many people uh affected by by things uh you know that would be a good thing and we should look at that as a model for how we handle things in the future well, you know, you mentioned the stock market, and boy, if I if I didn't have bad luck, I don't know what luck I would have, because I had my investments through USAA, and USAA just before this outbreak happened, said, "Oh, we are selling this financial arm of USAA to Schwab," and I'm looking at Schwab, okay. and where I had free trades and no fees, all of a sudden I'm having all these fees and all these other things going to be it going after my meager amount of money in the stock market. And I said, no, no. And I said, oh, no. Oh, hell no. And the day I took that money out of the stock market is the day it crashed. So by the time they made this sale, I ended up not in the green. I ended up back in the red. Talk about bad timing. So, yeah. I, mean, I I normally go in for the long haul, but when they start hitting me with the fees, I said, no, let me get out, and I'm going to go over to TD Ameritrade, and they're not going to give me fees, no minimum balance, blah, blah, blah. It suits the right. way I invest, and now, instead of having this money to invest, I've got this little bit of money to invest. But, you know, yeah. uh, um, that's me. But how many other people yeah. that have just meager money in there, and they're looking at it going, oh, my God, everything's gone. Right. And a couple things with that. One, um, that will cause people to cut back on their spending habits today because uh, they feel less wealthy. When your stock market's going up and you feel wealthy, you feel more like spending money. When you feel less wealthy, you feel less like spending money. So that makes me a little nervous because consumers may start cutting back on some of their spending. And that's really uh, that will tend to slow the um, uh, economy down. Uh, The second thing is um, even if money has dropped as much as it has, and it has for for all of us, unless you're going to retire next year, I would tell people don't look at the stock market. Just don't look at your portfolio. Come back in two or three months and take a look at it, and you'll feel much, much better than you do now. Uh, So this is a, 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 a huge dip, although the market had a very good day today. It was down nearly 30%. Uh, went up over 9% today, so it had a pretty good day. Um, but uh, it's going to continue to be volatile. And as we get more bad news, the day the World Health Organization called this a pandemic, the market had the largest uh, drop in history. Um, the day that they declare emergencies, things are tending to uh, drop. So whenever bad news comes out, the market will overreact to that. On the other side, 
um, when good news comes out, the market will tend to react very positively today. I happened to be watching uh, President Trump's speech um, an hour or so ago, uh, and the station had what the Dow Jones Industrial Average was doing as he spoke. And as he spoke, people must have felt much more confident because the Dow went, he started speaking, it was around 1440 gain for the day, which is huge. By the time he got done speaking, it was up over 1900 uh, for the day, which is where wow. it, it closed. So people must have felt confident in what the president was saying and doing and getting a handle on this. And, you know, we're going to make sure the, uh, the uh, negative aspects are minimized and the federal government is on this and we're working with the states and we're going to make sure there's plenty of testing kits available and you can analyze all those uh, testing uh, quickly. We'll talk about setting up some drive-through testing, all, all kinds of things. So I think that made people feel more confident. And as I said, the market shot up over 500 points just during his, uh, his speech. So it shows that investors are very nervous. They're uncertain about what's going to happen in the future. Uncertainty is always bad for the stock market. So if any bad news comes out, uh, you'll see the market dip again. And if some real good news comes out, you'll see the market uh, go up. I still believe that we'll get through this, the major bad part of it, hopefully in the next four to six weeks. And then the rest will be relatively mild, especially if we get into the summer. I do expect the stock market to fully recover from where it was before. I'm not exactly sure how long that'll take, but typically these things take just a matter of months uh, to occur. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that'll, that'll happen too. And we'll have learned from, from this. And I think that's positive. And you know, there, there's one other really positive uh, that I haven't seen since President Trump was elected uh, into office. There were some Democrats that uh, wake up every morning and must say, what what's bad can I say about President Trump today? Um, so there's some of these people that for years have been doing this, I notice are starting to praise the president. The governor of California, yeah. who President Trump don't, doesn't get along with at all, started praising the president for what he was doing. The governor of Washington, who also doesn't get along with the president, praised the president for what was going on. The shocker to me today was the governor of New York and President Trump were talking on the phone. They were both agreeing that they were both doing the right thing. So this is actually bringing some people together <laughs> that um, we've never seen together since uh, Trump was elected. I think that's a good thing. Oh, that, that definitely is, because I saw that with Gavin Newsom. And, of course, the left is not talking about that. You know, you would see it on uh, Fox News. You'd see it on OAN. Yeah. You'd see it on Newsmax. You would see it on the Daily Caller. You'd see it on LiveSet. You'd see it on conservative outlets. But heaven forbid the New York Times or or the Criminal News Network, CNN, or, or lamestream MSNBC would – how dare they even say something good about the president? Oh, my goodness. The world might explode. No, <laughs> probably more like their heads will explode. But, you know, it, it, it's amazing to watch people just hyperventilate the, the moment you mention Trump's name. And I got to admit, when he came to office, my father had set up an investment for my mom before he passed away. And we watched when Obama came in office, my father, before he passed, was watching everything dip like crazy. And he says, Rita, yeah. don't worry. It, it, and this too shall pass. Just leave it alone. Touch it only if it's an emergency. 
And then when after my father passed, my mom kept on saying, what's it doing, what's it doing? And says, Mom, just leave it alone like Dad said. Let's wait to see it come back up. Trump comes in office, and within two months, she gained not only what my father had put in, but an additional 33% above what Good he put in in just two months of him being in office. I know that this too shall pass, this you know, coronavirus, the COVID, whatever you want to call it, this too shall pass, yeah. and everything will come back, which I, I believe you feel the same thing, too. Yes, exactly. Uh, this will pass. It will turn out to be a learning experience. Things will get back to normal. The sky will not fall. Uh, everything will be okay, uh, and uh, we'll move on to the next, uh, the next thing. Oh, absolutely. I know that you do have to run because I hear you getting in and out of your car. <laughs> You are a busy man, and I have a cute hearing. <laughs> but, you know, Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, you just tell me, guys, hey, I want to be on her show. i got something to say. Tell them to call me. Don't make me call I you. I certainly will. I'll do that. <laughs> God thank, bless. Thank you very much you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Look forward to doing it again. Take All care. Right, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Mike Bessler, check him out, muckrake.com backslash Michael hyphen Bustler and check them out over there. It's always fun to have them. And I know, Curtis, that you've got your meeting that you're going to be leaving us uh, very shortly with. Um, yeah, four minutes. So, you know, where are you heading today? I'm heading over to the Republican headquarters. They're having some kind of dedication. Um, they have some kind of memorial for um, minority leaders and and some kind of tribute for today's black leaders. Um, and that includes huh. myself. Um, they got this, like, wall of fame or whatever, and they have pictures of all Wall-a-shame. of us up there. Did you say wall of shame? Huh? <laughs> wall of shame. <laughs> fame with a capital F. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I, I thought you said that you were going to be there with uh, Jennifer Cowell, right? Right. And quite a few others. I think it's going to be like about 60 invitation-only um, people there. Yep. So well, I might as well sign off now and say, you know, I'll be back next week and we'll have some more exciting guests. And I'm going to add to the list in the next few weeks some new people. Oh, great. Well, uh, next week we've got ourselves fairly booked up, so you'd have to be looking about two weeks down the road. I mean, mm-hmm. the last couple of days, people crawling out of the woodwork looking to book onto the show, which is a good thing. And it looks like we're having no glitches. Oh, God, I probably just, you know, jinxed myself. Uh, no glitches so far in our broadcast. And I want to thank everyone for hanging out with us, uh, waiting for our next guest to call in, which he should be doing uh, shortly. I did speak to him earlier today, so I know that, you know, he's got the number and he knows to call in a few moments. Um, but, uh, Curtis, before you go, um, just to let you know, there is a possibility that I'm floating the idea of running for office myself uh, for county council. Oh, wow. So, um, it won't be for at least a year, uh, so I'll have a little time to uh, build up my war chest or whatever I've got going on. But it's, it's something mm-hmm. that I've, I've started to seriously consider. And, you know, I, I, I know I've said this on the air. I always promised my mama I would never be a politician. I'll clean sewers first. Um, but when I'm looking at what I see going on on my county level 
And I know we're cleaning up little bit by little bit. You know, Trump is starting to sweep out the swamp a little bit by little bit. He's got a long, long, long way to go. But I'm seeing it on the local level, and I'm saying, all right, maybe it's time I turn around and I, I step in. I can only do so much as a Tea Party leader. I can only do so much as a community activist. I can stand before my county council, rant and rave. I can send emails, write letters to the editor, host my meetings, and speak out. But mm-hmm. at one point in time, I think each and every one of us has to ask ourselves, is that enough, and can you do more? Is there something more that you can do? And are you competent enough to do it? Do you have the confidence enough to do it? Do you think you mm-hmm. might make a change? And, um, I had spoken to a friend of mine who, you know, has been in the same position, and I said, you know, worse comes to worse. If I lose, at least out there they know that someone's willing to stand up and challenge them. They're going to be a lot more cautious about what they do and how much they try to pull off behind closed doors. Because at this point, they know that we're out there and we're watching, and we are not going to be afraid, if necessary, to run something, someone against them. But Curtis, I know you got to run, so enjoy your uh, your little award. Event. And you got yeah. to take pictures. <laughs> to me. All right, All Curtis. right. Looks like our guest is going. Okay. Yeah. And I'll well, talk to you next week. And, and say hi to Jennifer Carroll for us. All righty. Bye bye. Care, Curtis. All right, Curtis has got to bounce off, so let's bring our guest in on the line. Uh, we have first time coming to the show, author with a book that is coming out very shortly. The book's title is Drinking with Your Patron Saint, The Sinner's Guide to Honoring Namesakes and Protectors. Let's welcome Dr. Michael P. Foley. Good afternoon, Dr. Foley. How are you today? Doing great, thanks. I mean, um, you're a guy sitting over the information on the book, and I'm going, all right. I looked at my coffee table, and I have – last week it was eight books I have to read to review to bring authors on the show. Um, my husband took some books out of the mailbox, put them aside on the coffee table, and I found them, and I put them together. I now have 12 books. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it so sounds like you need a drink. Your guy <laughs> – I gave it up for Lent. Oh. <laughs> oh, true story. And I was I was licking my lips, but when when um, I got I got the the information from uh, your guy over at Reginate Press, and I says, Oh my God! All right, how am I going to wade through this? And I says, All right, send me the book and let me speed read through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. That's a good idea. Goodness, I, I I open up the PDF and I says, all right, I've got my highlighter out. And I, the one thing I found using Kindle or the PDF is I can highlight it and then print out the notes, which makes it easier for me. So I start to go highlighting, and I get up to around page eight, and I'm going, huh? Oh, now I get it, <laughs> and I had to laugh at myself. That was the quickest speed read. It took me less than 20 minutes to read your entire book because I got it. I got oh, it. funny. Um, well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> so now I've got a whole page of notes here just to talk to you about that. 
Now, uh, one of the first things, and I got to tell you, your agent can send me as many questions and notes, but unless I read the book, I'm not going to ask question number one because I want to know who my author is, what the subject is, and what they're writing about. I want to understand where you're coming from and where you're going. Here's my first thing. You are a professor of theology, correct? Correct. Okay. So you're coming from a, a, a religious background. This is what you teach. Um, so my question is, is that a few people actually equate the spiritual faith with spirits. Now, my husband and I had an incident when we were traveling between New York and here in South Carolina. We stopped in North Carolina at a restaurant. We stayed overnight in a hotel. And the woman serving behind the counter was a little Baptist woman. And when we ordered mm -hmm. drinks at the counter, she nearly had a heart attack. And she started to course herself, no, I'm a good Baptist woman. I don't touch alcohol, period. No, I don't serve it. I don't touch alcohol. And sometimes you hear that from people that are ultra-Orthodox in their religious, the Christian religious beliefs and believe that you should never touch alcohol. It is a sin. And yet you read about spirits throughout the Bible, and even Christ turned water into wine. Yep, he served exactly. wine at the Last Supper. So what is so wrong with faith and alcohol mixing together? Uh, there is nothing wrong, in my opinion. Uh, there is a difference between drinking in moderation and drinking to excess. And so the Bible definitely condemns and consistently condemns drunkenness. But the same Bible also treats alcohol as a normal part of everyday life. Uh, the Jews had wine always at their table. Uh, wine is in an integral part of the Passover ritual. You mentioned the wedding of Cana, the Last Supper. The same St. Paul who condemns drunkenness is the same St. Paul who orders his disciple Timothy to drink wine when he has a stomach ailment. So the crucial distinction is drinking in moderation versus getting drunk. And obviously getting drunk is immoral, but drinking in moderation is not. Well, you know, uh, recently I attended a funeral, and there is a confession uh, of sins. Um, I'm sure the Catholic faith, I was a, I'm a reformed Catholic. I am now Anglican. Um, I, I saw the way the Catholic Church was going back in the 70s, 80s, and I saw some things firsthand that said, hmm. And I mm. then have now become an uh, Anglican, and I don't know if you're familiar with the split between the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church, where one likes to be conservative biblically while the other likes a more liberal meaning and right. changing of the scripture from what it's meaning. So we're in the war of faith at this point in this nation, not just within mm -hmm. our own denominations, but within the nation. So when I when I see a book like yours, it brings joy to my heart because it says at least people understand that because you are faithful, that because you believe, you are a believer and you are a Christian, it doesn't mean you have to walk around like a droopy drawers every single day. Yep. That's exactly true. And, you know, Chesterton has this great line that God's greatest secret was his mirth, that there is a hidden joy in Christianity. It looks sort of 
dour and life-denying to certain people looking at it from the outside. But those who have lived a Christian life know that there is a great source of joy. And merriment is a part of that. And that's where I think drinking in moderation as a part of fellowship and friendship is a good thing. Yeah, it's funny because I mentioned the confession confession of sins and I got myself a little off track, which is easy for this Italian to do. (laughs) So here's an Italian, (laughs) former Roman Catholic. And uh, in in the confession, you know, it says that to lead a good, sober life. And it took a little while for me to understand exactly what that confession was. And and you pointed it out so succinctly. It's like, yes, everything in life is good in moderation. And at the start of the show, I was talking about, you know, the rights, our unalienable rights given to us by our creator, despite the fact that uh, Joe Biden could not even get that line right. Um, (laughs) You know, that with these rights that we recognize of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness also comes responsibility and self-discipline. But this is what the Bible teaches us throughout the whole time. There is responsi- There's free choice, yes. There is life, there's liberty, and there's the ability to pursue your happiness. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed it, as uh, Jonah mm-hmm. would find out, and a few other of our patron saints would find out. But you know, you're allowed to pursue it, but there is responsibility and self-discipline also necessary in the whole equation. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Don't you wish I was in one of your classes? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably sitting there going, what the heck is she talking about? What's she smoking? (laughs) (laughs) The good stuff, dude. The good stuff. Now, the the funny thing is is that, you know, growing up, um, uh, like I said, growing up Italian, Roman Catholic, you know, I was deep, deep within the church, um, and, you know, you learned about the patron saints, and you, you prayed to the saints as, as well as, you know, praying at the altar to Jesus and to God. Uh, but people turned around and said, well, you're, you're praying to a pagan statue. But that's not who the patron saints are, and that's, you're not praying to a, a, a different God when you pray to a saint. You're not praying to a statue, but you're praying to an ideal and a person that represents that ideal to intercede on your behalf. It would be That's like exactly if I was right. calling up and I was saying, hey, Dad, you know, you're up there right now. Why don't you, you know, knock on the door of the, the big guy over there and tell him I need a little help down here and, you know, talk to him for me. It's basically what you're saying. I may be talking to my dad, but instead you choose a patron saint. That's exactly right. You're not praying to another God. You're praying to a friend of God who is relatively close to the ear of God now that he's in heaven. And so you're just asking the saint to put in a good word for us. And you're not doing that as a substitute for praying to God. Of course, you do that as well. But just as you're in, if you were, if you were in some kind of trouble, it would be very natural for you to turn to a fellow parishioner or a someone else in the pews and say, hey, buddy, can you pray for me? I'm going through a tough time. We Christians pray for each other all the time. Well, just as you can do that for someone who's alive sitting next to you, you can do that to someone who died a thousand years ago. 
if he died in Christ, there's a way in which he's not dead. Those who live, live in Christ. And so death does not divide the body of Christ. I can pray to someone who died a thousand years ago, just as I can talk to you right now. That's the whole thing. Um, People have a misnomer when you say pray. You know, they think that you have to have a formula. I mean, there is, in a way, a formula, but it's not something that is carved in stone. You know, you first, you thank God. Um, you, You praise him for everything, all the blessings he has given you. And then you turn around, you lay out your problem to him, and then you listen. And there's no set formula, there's no words. Sometimes it's just the emotion and feeling within your heart. And people don't understand, but that's a prayer, too. You don't need words for it. Well, and also people misunderstand the fact that they they think that the word prayer means worship. And that's actually not true. Just look it up in the dictionary. When you look at Old English and they say, you know, I pray thee, sir, it means to ask or petition. It doesn't mean to necessarily address someone as God. So when we say we pray to the saints, there's absolutely no insinuation that we are worshiping the saints. We are simply petitioning them. Now, here's the question I have. How did the genesis of patron saints come about? Because, you know, here we have men and women. You know, they were faulted, and they were not 100% perfect, but yet they, are, they have become beautified. Uh, for those who don't understand, is beautified is when the, the Pope would turn around and say, well, we have seen and witnessed and had testimony to certain miracles performed by this individual. We raised them from an apostle of Christ to a sainthood. And at which point, where do they get the label patron saint of, say, dirty feet? Well, there are two different issues. How does one become a saint, and how does one become a patron saint? Uh, You're right about the way someone becomes a saint today. It's a very formal process. It has to be approved by the Vatican. There's a long vetting that, that occurs. Patronages have always been a lot more loosey goosey. Um, the Vatican or the Pope can indeed say, okay, I, uh, like in 2000, the year 2000, John Paul II said, I hereby decree Thomas More to be the patron saint of statesmen. So the Pope can do oh, lots of official. <laughs> pa- yeah. The Pope can do uh, lots of official, official patronages. But a lot of these just come from folk piety. So no one made St. Christopher officially the patron saint of travelers, but people started to pray to him because of the story about him. It made sense to make him a patron saint of travelers. So a lot of these things happen unofficially, and that's okay too. Yeah, it's funny because as, as I'm reading your book, which is a fantastic book. I'll repeat this, the name so people get it. And there's a link on the show page next to your name. So if anyone is interested in pre-ordering, because I don't think it's out just yet. Or is it coming out this week? I think in a couple of days. Uh, it's it's coming out on St. Patrick's the- Day. And you can ah, pre-order on okay. Amazon. Yep. Yep. 
Drinking with your patron saints, the sinner's guide to honoring namesakes and protectors. Now, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, there's something like 1,770-some-odd saints, almost 1,800 saints that we are aware of, that we remember. How did you pick out only 54 out of almost 1,800? Come on. How do you just get 54 some people even have more than that uh, th- th- in terms of the total number of saints. I've heard estimates as high as 10,000 recognized saints in the Catholic Church. Patronages are a little bit different. I have about 100. I think I have 98 saints, including uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary under 12 different titles. So if you include each title separately, then it's, it's over 100 entries for patrons. And then I have about 700 causes that are attached to those patrons. You know, now I I had challenged some of our people up in the chat room and uh, over on Facebook uh, to uh, give us some uh, causes, but we'll do that in a little bit later on uh, to to see if we can find a patron saint for each and every one of them. But we'll do that in a little bit because we've got quite a ways to go here. You know, um, well, I, I, in this one particular book, I actually sat down and I counted all the names. And I came up with 54, but wait, you had to whittle it down. What was the, 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 the prerequisite you had to have it included in this specific book? Um, I wanted first and foremost to make sure that the various patronages were represented. I wanted a good diversity of patron saint of occupation, hobby, activity, place. And that's why I came up with those. Uh, like I said, it was either, depending on your count, it's either 98 or about 112 uh, different entries. Yeah, it, it, is, it is fascinating because it, it actually brought a lot of things back to me because uh, the church I belong to is the parish church of St. Helena. And I found even oh, yeah. her to be... Very, very interesting, you know, in her history and and in her bringing faith to the people. Uh, but this is also another point of your book, is that, you know, as you're reading the stories of these individuals, these patron saints, what they went through. And like I said, these are a fault of men and women, but yet they had the power of faith in God and in Jesus Christ to overcome whatever obstacles, and even some to the very, their very death were still persecuted and living in misery, but yet they still had and maintained that faith. The power of it is just so powerful. But what it brings to mind is if we think back over the last several years of the persecution we see in Iraq and Iran and all of these other Muslim countries where we see Christians being beheaded, being burned alive, being crucified, and the power of their faith. And I'm wondering daily how many more saints are being born every day, even today. Oh, saints are always in our midst. That's, that's the beauty of it, that uh, Christ does not abandon his church and continues to pour grace onto every generation. So there are definitely saints walking the face of the earth as we speak, and maybe... They'll pass away in a few years, and we will learn of their holiness and canonize them and realize they were here all along. 
you know, it, it's funny because, as you say, saints are every day. And, you know, I'm reminded of many times in my life uh, when I was lost, I was looking for assistance. I mean, physically lost. And out of nowhere, a person would appear. And the next thing I know, wherever I was, lost wherever I was, um, I'm no longer lost. I'm brought to wherever destination I wanted. And the perfect example I think of is that when my father was dying, um, they lived in the Virgin Islands. My husband and I stayed mm. down there. We rented a car. We punched in the address of the hospital thinking GPS would get us there. And we kept on getting lost. It kept on looping us back around to this one Burger King restaurant. And, I, I mean, at this point, we've been driving for an hour and a half on this little tiny island of St. Thomas. And this one man came out as we're sitting in the parking lot. My husband and I, of course, arguing. He raps on the window, and he's got a little girl in tow. And he goes, you're obviously lost. I've watched you come through here three times. Where are you trying to go? And I told him, and I explained to him, my dad is in the hospital. He's in intensive care. Um, I need to get there now. I flew from, from South Carolina, and we're lost. He goes, follow me. Never gave me his name. He had the most adorable little girl I assumed was his daughter. He gets to the front of the, the hospital entrance. He points his arm through the window, shows us the entrance, drives off. Never knew the man's name. Wow. About a year later, I put an editorial in the local paper. My father, by that point, had passed away. Thanking that, it, that individual, it was the one-year anniversary of when he brought us to the hospital. Mm. To this day, I don't know who he is. He never responded to the editorial. And when you say, angels, walk with us, I would have never got to that hospital. I would have been so frustrated. I probably would have checked into the hotel, crying my eyes out, calling the hospital. I have no idea how to get there. Come get me. But instead, an angel walked in. And we had to be where we needed to be at the right time. That's beautiful. Well, like I said, people, if they just look within their own lives, sometimes just open their eyes, they don't realize how many times God intercedes every single day. If we just open our eyes. And your book is a perfect example of that. Well, I tried to be. I, one of the great things about uh, this book and the, the two books that came before it is that it introduces people to the wonderful stories about the saints. And they are really wonderful. Uh, they're inspiring. Some of them are quite colorful, but all of them are interesting. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it does. It, people say praying to saints is it's archaic. Why would you do that? You know, you, you pray to God, you pray to Jesus. Why do you have to pray to a saint? Isn't that enough? Why do you need more? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I understand where you're coming from with that, but first of all, it's not why do you have to. It's why would you want to. And the answer is you want as many people praying for you as possible. That is a very Christian thing to do. And there is a lot of word to just what you said, because people don't understand the power of prayer. I mean, um, mm -hmm. 
That there is was true. a time where my husband was in intensive care, and um, a lot of people were praying for him, a lot of people in our church. And one afternoon, I had visited an intensive care. It was around Christmas time. I had gone out and got a little paper Christmas tree. So on his uh, ICU door, I had this little Christmas tree taped onto the door. I had gotten a little uh, crucifix I had put on the stand next to his bed. And he was out of it. He had no idea where he was, barely conscious. And two friends of ours came in with prayer shawls, one for me and one for him. And we carefully put one around him. And I had to go home because I had to feed. We had six cats. And the cats have to be fed. The box has to be cleaned. It still has to take care of them. I drove yep. home crying. And I was literally, I don't know how I made it home. I mean, literally tears were streaming down my face. And the only thing that kept them going through my head is, God, what's going to happen to me? What am I going to do now? Because the doctor said, if he does not turn around in the next four to five hours, be prepared to lose him. And that's how oh serious he was. Yeah. So here I am. I'm driving home. I'm crying. I'm feeding the cat. I'm cleaning the box. And I, next thing I know, I'm in the bedroom. I'm prone on the floor, and I'm praying. And all of a sudden, it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks that I was praying the wrong way. I was saying, what's going to happen to me? And then it dawned on me, I'm praying for the wrong thing. Instead, mm-hmm. I said, whatever your will is, I accept. Because you know what you're doing. I don't. But I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I changed my prayer to that, I felt something happen. I got back to the hospital. I get off the elevator. The doctor sees me and she rushes over. She grabs me in a huge hug and she's crying. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he's gone. Yeah, oh yeah. That's the first thing that came out of my mind. And she's just hugging me and holding me. And I lifted my head up. I looked over her shoulder. There is my husband sitting up in the bed, laughing and joking with the nurses as if nothing was wrong. And do you know, two months later, I was telling the story, and he goes, I know exactly when that happened. Because I felt the warmth, I felt the need to sit up, and I felt fine. The power of prayer. I mean, the prayer shawls that were placed on our shoulder that afternoon, that was the power of prayer for my church. And then once I understood what the prayer should have been, we were heard. Thanks be to God. <laughs> well, I'm getting off the topic of your book because the book is now I got myself crying. <laughs> but the topic of the book, you know, is about the patron saints and actually how you can honor them and ask them for their protection. Because what you do is in your book also is not only do you talk about the patron saints and who they are, what they stand for, but you also offer ways in which to recognize them. Um, and I found some of them quite amusing because I can imagine just calling my friends up and saying, uh, I'm going to have a party for St. Bartholomew, and these are the drinks I'm going to be serving because they're associated with him. So come on, let's all come over, honor St. Bartholomew, and have a heck of a party, which I found is exactly what you're saying in your book. That's exactly it. 
Yeah, uh, I pair beer, wine, and cocktail suggestions for the various saints and their causes so that you can have a festive and pious party. Now, now how did you mix, match the drinks to each individual? Well, it varied. I just try to find some kind of a connection between a saint and a drink. Sometimes it could be just a similarity of name. Uh, sometimes it could be a symbol in Christian art that the saint is associated with that is an ingredient in a cocktail. Um, sometimes it could be the, uh, the saint's home region, like his birthplace. Maybe his birthplace is famous for a particular wine or a cocktail. I basically looked for any kind of hook I could find. <laughs> Just some excuse to try a little mixology, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, the, there's so much in here that it was so much fun to read. And like I said, it's a really, really quick read because you you give the intro, intro you tell people, you know, what you intend to do. And you also tell people, hey, listen, you do have a problem. You know, take a look in the glossary here, and, you know, maybe there's something in here that matches what you need, and we can match a saint up to you and have a cocktail and say a prayer to the saint and sit back and see what happens. That's exactly right. And good things will happen because you're combining festivity and piety. Now, you know... um, What's some of the feedback? Uh, what's what's some of the type of feedback you have been getting for these books? Because you got, like you said, two prior. One of them was about St. Patrick. The other one was about you know other saints. Uh, now you've got a new one coming out on St. Patty's Day. Uh, what sort of feedback are you getting on these books? Overwhelmingly positive. The only time I've received negative criticism is from people who have looked at the cover and judged it by its cover, which there's a very old saying you're not supposed to do, but they do anyway. And so they assume that I'm somehow, you know, glorifying drunkenness or being irreverent, and I'm not. There's a difference between being lighthearted and irreverent, and um, I'm lighthearted but not irreverent. But the greatest compliment I ever got on the book was from a friend of a friend. He had a large has a large Catholic family, a lot of kids. And one day they went around the table and asked the children, what was your favorite book? And the five-year-old said, Drinking with the Saints. And the reason why <laughs> is that he, he had never heard the stories of the saints before. And this was his first introduction to them. And so when the parents would read these stories out, he, would be, he was absolutely riveted. That that is amazing, and you know they are all little short stories. They are easy for anyone to read, and you you don't go into huge detail, but you just give the ABCs enough to understand what is going on with the saint. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, was it St. Bridget is the one with bakers, and I, I found that one was really ironic. Oh yes, uh, you're thinking of uh, St. Agatha. Oh, I'm sorry, Agatha. And yes, and the uh, the, the mistake about her symbol in Christian art. 
you know, it, 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 is, it is a very, very interesting book. And, you know, it, it, as you said, it is for people of all ages. You don't encourage the kids to mix the drinks, but you encourage the kids to read the stories and to understand. But it, as the kids read well, it, I, I'll, I'll correct. eat it. I have to correct you right there. You do have the kids mix the drinks for you. They just don't get to drink the drinks. (laughs) Well, in some states, that might not be legal. Well, you can be a bartender under 21. Actually, um, I believe in South Carolina, you cannot. In order to serve drinks and to mix them, you have to be 21 in South Carolina. So, yeah, I like really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely, because I used to wow. be a bartender. And that was before the age was raised to 21, which gives you a hint about how old I am. Anyway. Well, it, that is interesting. In Texas, you can be uh, 18 and a bartender. Now, the other question I have is, like, you're getting overwhelmingly good reviews, and you do have a couple of critics. Do you find that as a theologian, a scholar, that some people are no longer taking you as seriously or have they looked at you in a different light and maybe thinking maybe the scholarship, the scholarly research should not be that serious, that maybe we should lighten up a little? I, I don't think so. It's um, it, it basically is two different tracks that I'm writing for a, a popular audience and when I write for a popular audience, I, I write for a popular audience. And when I do scholarly work, I do scholarly work. And it appears in a very different kind of publication with a very different audience. So it is just sort of two different uh, tracks. And that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I've got people up in the chat room, and some of them were asking some questions earlier, and I told them to hold off until you came on the air. So I'm going to ask them that, you know, if they're still out there listening, and if I still see them in the chat room, type in a question as to um, something that you want to find out what a patron saint, you know, stands for. Say, for example, uh, a lost item or a plumber or a sailor. Give me an idea of what you want to find a patron saint to represent, put it in the chat room. I also up over on Facebook, and I'm asking people, because there's something like about 200 people watching over on Facebook right now, uh, asking them to post up there a question for you uh, about a patron saint, either an issue you want to know which saint stands for. Uh, And let's have a little fun with this, because I know someone asked about Sasquatch, and I don't know if they're is one for Sasquatch. So I am right now keying in a search inside the PDF and it's scanning right now and it says no matches for Sasquatch. No, usually patronages are limited to realities. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you know... There's no patron saint of unicorns either. (laughs) Well, you know... Um, I know that they're, because I'm a retired police officer, so I'm wondering who that would be for law enforcement. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to key in. All right. I can tell you right now, you don't have to use the PDF. Okay. St. Michael. And who's that? 
St. Michael. Now, what is with St. Michael? Well, St. Michael the Archangel drove Lucifer out of heaven, threw him into hell. So he is the, the first cop, the first law enforcement agent. Wow. I, I kind of like that dude. I like exactly. That dude. You should. St. <laughs> <laughs> Jude is also he... a... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to ask. I was just going to ask about St. Jude. Why is he for the firemen? St. Jude is not for the firemen. St. Florian is for the firemen. St. Jude is the patron saint of the Chicago Police Department because the city of Chicago historically had a deep devotion to St. Jude. Oh. Now, why would they have a deep devotion to St. Jude? That's, that's curious. It actually started in the 1920s. It started in a particular parish. They had a relic of St. Jude, and they really promoted it. And it actually began the modern devotion to St. Jude. St. Jude had been the, the most forgotten apostle. And we believe that the reason why he is the patron saint of desperate causes is that people would only pray to him when they were really, really desperate. And the reason why they, would, they were reluctant to pray to him earlier than that was maybe the similarity of his name, Jude, with Judas, the traitor. So you were really hard up when you had to turn to someone whose name was so closely linked to Judas. And that's how he became the patron saint of desperate causes. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Because right now I am wearing a crucifix of St. Jude, I'm not St. Jude, St. James Matamoris, and I'm just keying his name in to see if he's in your book here. And no, I was just curious. because he St. James is in the book, but not under that title. The, the title you're referring to is St. James the Moor Slayer, and I do not have a patron saint for slaying Moors listed in the book. I didn't think that happened very much these days, or at least uh, I didn't want to draw too much controversy to the book. So I did not put James the Moor Slayer in there. But that is the title for Saint, a title for St. James the Apostle, and he is duly represented in the book. Ah, that's interesting. That is interesting. I'm just waiting for someone to post something up and, you know, either they fell asleep, <laughs> but I see them posting stuff in there because we are coming close to the end of the show. So people start to wander off towards the end. Yeah, but it is such a fascinating book because, you know, you talk about, you know, um, St. Catherine of Alexandria for headaches. Uh, but, you know, when you think about here she is, she's beheaded. Uh, she lost her head. Well, that's one way to cure a headache. Isn't that a little drastic? Well, it's interesting that uh, she is the patron saint of headaches precisely because she was beheaded, which is an interesting pairing because beheading both causes and cures a headache very quickly. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I would say, you know, uh, and some of these drinks I, I was reading some of them, but you come up with some interesting um, ingredients on them. You know, how much research did you do in mixology in order to come up with some of these drinks? Every, there are over a hundred cocktail recipes in the book, including hundreds of beer and wine suggestions as well. And every cocktail was 
duly tested before it entered the book. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I have a very Gee, large liquor collection now. <laughs> it was a great research my project. Cabinet, my cabinet consists of one bottle, and it's scotch. <laughs> I'm wondering which patron saint would be just plain scotch. Uh, you could probably do St. Andrew because he's the patron saint of Scotland. But I, I do have several brands of scotch represented in the book for specific saints. Mm. See, now I've got to go and thumb through the whole thing. Like I said, I sped read it through uh, last night. And uh, be interesting, uh, if I can actually get a group from my church together and have a, a gathering and have them you know, choose a couple of patron saints and see what sort of mixology party we would end up with. Well, that's the oh idea. That, that is the idea. It's there to, to encourage fellowship. You could also do work parties. You know, you look at what your particular occupation is, find out who the patron saint of that occupation is, and then go out and toast to the saint after work. Oh, man. With your coworkers. Now, I'm just curious. I'm just curious because, you know, here we are. We're in the midst of what is now called a pandemic. And I'm just wondering um, if there's a patron saint for the plague. And yes, there is. Oh, there are a lot, and, actually. Yes, you, you've got a few to uh, choose got on, from. Yeah. You've got St. Sebastian, St. Christopher, St. Rock, R-O-C-H. Uh, St. Michael, I don't know if I officially listed him, but he was also invoked against the plague. Um, St. Giles is another one. There have been a lot of saints that have helped out in times of plague. Wow. Now, thanks be to God, we don't have a plague right now, but it's good to hedge your bets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That would be one thing. I'm telling people to stock up on uh, Patriot food and and making sure that they have enough food and stuff in the house for a couple of weeks in case they have to, you know, stay behind the door. But that, that's interesting, yeah, to, to pray to these saints to, for illness and uh, to help our nation heal. That, that is uh, very interesting because there is a patron saint just about for everything that would encompass our human lives. As you said, nothing fictitious, but anything that actually has to do with not just our daily living, but our living as a nation, too. Oh, absolutely. And if you can't find a particular patronage or a particular cause, there's nothing wrong with you making it up. That is to say, if you feel a particular attraction or devotion to a particular saint, baptize them as your patron saint and... Pray to them and ask for inspiration, ask for help in following their good example, ask for their protection. It is a fun book, but it's also a serious book, too. Now, we can't look past that, but we can also, as you're showing in your book, that we can still have fun and still be serious at the same time, as long as we, we do it with a purpose. And I think that's also another point in your book, that there is a purpose to everything in there. So that whatever is bothering us or whatever it is that we seek in our life, you know, just take a few quiet moments 
and and say that prayer. Think that prayer. Feel that prayer. You don't have to say the words. Just you no. Know, open your heart. Open your mind, and let what happens happen. And you might be pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. Prayer is good. Yeah. Now uh, I'm just gonna because I'm down to our last 15 minutes. Um, I'm gonna change the subject just a little bit because you know you are a theologian, and you know I, I respect you know people that you know like yourself. My my um, brother-in-law happens to be a Baptist minister, and he's also a theologian too. So I I also you know asked him a lot of questions too, but I, I'm seeing something rising in our nation uh, with this COVID with this. Uh, COVID-19 virus or the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But there is a rise in people ever since this hit of returning to church and seeking solace in God. Um, In times like this, people have a tendency to return to faith. We saw it with 9-11, and we're seeing it now that when our nation is facing a crisis, we as Americans know where to turn, and it goes back to God, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that is one of the reasons why I believe God and his providence allows misfortunes, it is to serve as a wake-up call so that we can be uh, good servants, uh, w- whether it's a time of misfortune or not. Now, uh, here I am. I'm going to throw something at you and ask you very simply, were you guided to write this book to release it on this specific date, St. Patty's Day, not knowing that this St. Patty's Day, so many parades are being canceled because of this this outbreak, and so many people are in fear, hiding behind closed doors, that maybe God guided you to write this book at this time to be released at this date? Well, I I do not know the mind of God. Uh, He may have uh, a certain providence in that selection. The release date was chosen months ago by the Regnery publisher, and it was chosen because it's an ideal day for releasing a drinking book. Uh, St. Patrick's Day is known for bending the elbow. So that that was the main reason. But if this book can serve in any way to lightens people's spirits and reduce their anxiety during this time of anxiety, then thanks be to God that I would be very honored if that were the case. You know, he has mysterious ways of working. And when, when I see coincidences and I don't believe in coincidences, sometimes I think he is, has a way of guiding people without them knowing it. And then when you look in hindsight, you go, Hmm, maybe there was a hand there that we weren't watching, just gently pushing us in the right path. That's exactly right. And oftentimes you never get those insights until you're looking way, way back into your past. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and that's especially true when, it, when trying to second-guess God's providential hand. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of times that we pray for things and we don't hear an answer, but yet that lack of answer in itself is an answer. Because I remember as a young girl dating this one guy, I thought it was madly in love with. And I remember, you know, in the pew crying, my head down deep in prayer, praying to St. Bridget, you know, bring my love to me type of thing. And Mm -hmm. in the end, my life took a different, you know, 
way of going, and maybe it was his answer saying, uh, you're a lot better than this dude. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> look elsewhere. So often in no answer, there is an answer. And then when you think about it, it's like, well, what would have happened to me if he had answered that prayer? Where would I be now? Not where I'm sitting today and not with the blessings I have today. So, you know, maybe if reading your book, you look at the stories of the saints and look at what they went through and then reflect on your own life at the same time, you might be pleasantly surprised, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, it is a fantastic book, and I, I, I want a signed copy. So you, you got to tell him, you know who I'm talking about, and as soon as he gets another stack of books in, you got to have you sign it and send it to me. How does that sound? Sounds great. And I can also offer you and uh, anyone who's listening um, a signed book plate. I, I give out at no cost whatsoever a book plate, which is an adhesive label that you can attach to the front page of the book. And if you contact me, and I've got a Facebook page and all that good stuff, and just tell me your name and your address, I can personalize it and send it to you. Uh, where's your Facebook page? Let people know where to find you, because I actually did not look for your Facebook page. I looked for you up on Twitter, but not on Facebook. It is just simply Drinking with the Saints. Ah, so just that's go to Facebook easy. and type in Drinking with the Saints, and you will, you will see us there. And you can message me or email me and uh, give me your information, and I will send you a book plate at no cost to you. Well, it has been a pleasure, Michael, and, and good luck on the release date. It's just coming up just next week, which is, I'm making sure I've got the right calendar on. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday is St. Patty's Day. And I'm looking forward to it. So as soon as I come off of my Lenten penitence, I, Easter Sunday, I'm going to be hoisting a big glass of scotch to you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, cheers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And God bless. And it is a great book. I'm telling people to read it because it's fun to read. And it's not often you get a book that is really fun to read. And so... Faith doesn't have to be dour. It can be fun, too. Absolutely. All right. God bless, Michael. And we'll be talking soon. You have a great Sounds day. Sounds good. Enjoy God bless. Happy St. Patty's Day. And to you as well. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. All right. That was Michael B. Foley. We've got about, you know, less than 10 minutes left on the end of the show. Thanks, guys, for not posting what you were looking for. But there was no Sasquatch. Sorry about that, Bigfoot. You know, I saw your question, um, but uh, there's no Sasquatch. <laughs> so sorry about that. Anyway, um, we just have a few last things to talk about. And, you know, oh, the heck with it. I'm just looking at all the other stuff that I was going to be talking about. But, um Anyway, guys out there, I want you to be careful because, you know, I don't know what state you're in, but if you're in a northern state, you're going to have a little bit of a colder season. So this virus season is going to last just a little bit longer. If you are south of the Mason-Dixon line, it will be ending soon. Uh, Just make sure you've got enough food, supplies, medicine in your house. Um, It's always, always a good plan to have a minimum of additional two weeks of medication in your home at least a minimum of two weeks of extra food. Um, But um, 
for me, we've got enough to last us two months in our house easily between our freezers and what I've got in the cupboards and my Patriot food, which I have an additional two weeks. No, actually, I've got a, at least a month and a half in Patriot food. So check it out. Go to my website, the name of the show, put a dash in it, southern-sense.com. Check out my Patriot food because with what's going on with this virus, it is the perfect reason why you've got to stock up. Um, as for, you know, hand sanitizer, you're not going to find Purell. You're not going to find any hand sanitizer in the stores. If you've got alcohol, and I'm not talking about booze. I'm talking about the rubber, the rubbing alcohol and the medicinal alcohol in your cabinet. Um, see if you have suntan lotion or uh, sunburn lotion, which is an aloe vera gel in your cabinet. So most people have it. I did but I also bought some extra bottles. What you do is you mix two parts of the alcohol with one part of the aloe vera gel. Mix it thoroughly. Make sure it's blended completely. Put it in a little you know, squirt bottle. Not a spray bottle, but one of those little bottles you squeeze on the side to get a little bit out. Perfect sanitizer. This is exactly what the Purell is. I had a bottle of alcohol. I went to the dollar store, got myself these little three-ounce, your bottles, you pop the top, one end lifts up, you squeeze a little bit out, you pop the top, get back down. So I've got three bottles. I did two-thirds cup of the um, medicinal alcohol, the isopropyl alcohol, with one-third cup of the aloe vera gel, which was the actually the burn ointment for sunburn. But aloe vera gel, the same exact thing. Mixed the two very thoroughly, poured it in my little bottles, keep one in my purse. So wherever I go, I always have hand sanitizer on me. I leave one in the car, one on my, my kitchen sink. Um, I'm ordered another case of alcohol. Anyone in my neighborhood that's going to need some alcohol to make the, the uh, purifying you know, sanitation and the sanitizer, uh, hand lotion, I'm going to offer them to help them make that. Tell them, bring the bottles, their own bottles, bring the aloe vera gel. I'll help them mix it together, make their own little ones. That's what I'm doing for my neighborhood. Ask yourself what you're doing for your neighborhood to make sure everyone around you is safe. But that is what I'm doing. I'm contacting my members of our Tea Party. We're having our teleconference on Monday. I'm going to offer to them as soon as I get the case of alcohol in here, bring your aloe vera gel over, go to the dollar store, get the little bottles. You get three of them in a pack. That'll fill up the one whole cup of lotion that we make. Come on over. We'll mix it together. Make sure you're safe. And then head on home and make sure you've got enough food and medicine in your home. It's going to be a couple of weeks before this passes, maybe a month and a half. So, folks, be ready to sit down for the long haul. It's going to get a little worse before it gets a little bit better. But this, too, shall pass. We survived 9-11. We survived Pearl Harbor, and we shall also survive this. Uh, we will be back on next Friday, and I had a list of people of what we had here going on. We already have a, a full schedule for next week. Oh, here it is. Um, waiting confirmation, Gregory Wrightstone, Inconvenient Facts About Global Warming. He's going to be coming on um, to, uh, next week. Phil Kirpin who is president of the American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.org, will be joining us 
Um, he is going to be talking about AARP and what a ripoff they are. The second he contacted me and said, I want to talk about AARP, and I said, don't piss me off. Don't get on my business. But he says, no, I want to rip open the lies that AARP has been telling senior citizens. I have been after AARP long before they endorsed and supported Obamacare, long before they did that. And they did some really sneaky stuff. They are not a conservative group, which is why I go with AMAC. Go to amac.org. Check out AMAC. It is for those that, even though they say 50 or older, if you're under 50, you can still join AMAC and use their benefits. It's just on a little bit of a different level. Once you turn 50, then you can go for full membership. They give you a, a uh, I don't know if you want to call it a semi, but they do give you an under 50 membership. You can still be part of AMAC, amac.org, amac.org. And we have a former CIA gentleman, Thomas Williamson. He's got new books out. One of them, believe it or not, it's not a liberal book. It's not a touchy-feely book. It's called Why I Am Me. Why I Am Me. He talks about his life and how it was molded that caused him to become a CIA agent. What it was that made him become so patriotic for his country that he joined the CIA and was an operative. So it's not what you think, even it says why I am. It's a very interesting book. I'm having a lot of fun reading it. It's a fast read, a good read. We're down to our last few minutes. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And I think this is the most I've talked nonstop without Curtis or someone else. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go and relax my throat. God, I'm dying for a scotch right now. Anyway, I'm going to be leaving you with Richard Lynch titled, We're American Proud. So I'll be back here on Friday. So until then, I say good night, God bless, and have a very happy, healthy, and safe St. Patty's Day. We got American pride. We stand side by side. Backwards to the big towns, we're American proud. If you like truck driving pals, they put in the miles. All our farmers and friends, whose day never ends, with our soldiers in mind. They leave no one behind. The God we keep our heads bowed. We're American proud. Pride in our eyes. There's no way to disguise. No, you can't keep us down. We're American proud. If you like.
hearts were dropping pounds They put in the mines All our farmers and friends Who stay never in With our soldiers in mind With our soldiers in mind They leave no one behind No one behind To God we keep our heads bowed we're American proud. We're American proud. We're American proud. 